Williams. Yeah, as I was just saying to you. Did three episodes. I've never done three episodes in one day. I've done two a days on several occasions. I've done three today. Yeah. And I had... I chalked up my entire laptop. I had to dump it all off. That's why I was telling you, I was like, I need 20 <laughs> minutes because I had an external. I was doing like, it's like at the ICU. I was like, come on, stay alive. As I was watching available storage, just, I was like, don't you die on me, you son of a bitch. Yeah. Well, it was one of those days at work for me. It was so busy. Uh, I had like two different people in the field calling me every hour or two to tr- ask more questions about the job that was going south and another one being planned and when i got your email i completely didn't notice that you had converted the time zone for me oh uh, yeah well, so, <laughs> i thought I, 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 I thought i was helping you doing that i'm sorry i must have fucked <laughs> I, I think i fucked you in the head hey no i uh i did catch your episode with Vinny yesterday and yeah. uh i got uh, done watching him and i noticed that you had got the uh blitzed guy and it was like Man, you got you got a work ethic ethic from heck going here. <laughs> Pumping them out. Thanks, man. It's uh yeah, I saw your comments on both of them. I was like yeah. I saw the first comment, I was like, I didn't realize who it was. And then I second comment, I was like I was like, dude, there's some guy kinda of realized look at Roger. I was like, Roger, you son of a bitch. But you're right. I you both both uh comments were correct. It did elude me, Richard Rhodes, because I've read Making of the Atomic Bomb and his other book, Dark yeah. Sun, Making of the Hydrogen Bomb. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, we share a hobby horse there because I went through a period in my 20s when I was really intensely interested in atomic weapons. Yeah. And so I read everything I could get my hands on. I, I have it Working the Fields of the Bomb by Robert Deltra Dickey. Uh, if you've ever seen that, it's actually a photo essay. The photos are online, but uh, half the book is also uh, like notes because he went in and he interviewed a lot of people and like took their picture and all. That was in his book that I learned about Sadako Sasaki and uh, the Peace Park at Hiroshima and all, all the people folding uh, paper cranes and stuff. But uh, I read da, Thomas Moreland's original, Howard Moreland's original article about the H bomb. In oh, fact, yeah. I read the original version uh, where he got a bunch of stuff wrong, and then because they sued him, they had discovery, and he was able to correct all the mistakes he made <laughs> as far as how the H bomb worked. <laughs> Was part of that was my dad was a nuclear physicist, and even though he did nothing but teach, uh, he did spend two years teaching Hyman Rickover's cadets in the Navy uh, oh, wow. in order to make his uh, terms for his fellowship when he got his PhD. Uh, and, and it was just the the whole the whole thing. It, it, it makes you wonder about your relationship to the world, to humanity, and everything. Uh, like, how did this happen? What does it mean? Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's really one of the more fascinating things that the human race has ever done, uh, even if it's one of the more spectacularly useless, too. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the most evil but most fascinating thing. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the, the stuff that they managed to accomplish in such a short time is mind-blowing. Uh, and uh, but, but then you've got, like... Uh, oh it's just there was so much going on but yeah Richard Rhodes is amazing and I've I've read both of those books through at least six or seven times you've you've read Dark Sun yeah yeah that one's I love that one I love that more than making atomic bomb is great I love Dark Sun there's something I don't know maybe it's because it's about even bigger bombs yeah well also it gets more into the politics and I'll uh Uh The making of is more about the technological triumph and the adversity and the obstacles. 
Dark Sun is really where it almost turns into a dark comedy yeah. of these people running around doing stupidly spectacular things. You got Ed Teller asking if it's big enough. Yeah, Ed, because, yeah. Ed, Ed Teller was such like a he's he's brilliant, but he's at the same time he's such like a like a almost almost like bratty child. I don't want to do this. I don't I, I don't want to do it today. I don't want this to be. It has to be my way. And it's just like, dude, well, you know. And then he gets like an inspiration from Ulam, and then never talks to him again. Like, just snubs yeah. him. Well, well, the thing is, Ulam had the original idea, yeah. and. Ulam knew that Teller was going to take credit for it. Yeah. I mean, he I had known think... the man long enough. Yeah. And, and it's like, I love the conversation with his wife. Uh, yeah. After he's, yeah. Staring he's out into had the, garden. the idea. <laughs> and he's like, the world is going to change. The world is going to change. It's going to take... Yeah, it's... Roger? The lines, it's, yeah, because Ed Teller's going to make it happen. Yeah. He's... Yeah. The yeah. yeah. Is it... um. Is my internet breaking up? God damn it. Is it coming through? Are we good? Yes. Hold on. Hold on. Before the internet breaks up. So I I went and got I went and got this last week. It's a or not last week, earlier this week. It's a uh it's a little thing called a jetpack. And it's it's like I don't know. It's like uh ten hours, roughly ten hours worth of I did the I I I kept calculated it up. It says fifteen gigabytes, but it's about ten hours worth of uh, fifteen gigs on a cellular network that I can I can link to my laptop, and it's better than Hotspot. It's just, and I've been saving it for when my internet fucks up and I want to do an episode. And so instead of us having to sit here and you know it breaking down, instead I can connect through this. So give me a second as it boots up. I can connect to it, and then we can enjoy smooth connection. The future is oh, now. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was just... Yeah. Was... All right. Well, hold on. It's going to... Give me one second. It's probably going to break up when, once I connect it. Fine again. Hold on. Hold on. Hold okay. on. Come on. It's connecting. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, come on. The future is amazing as I'm sitting here like, come on. When it works. Turn on. Yeah, when it works. When it, when it works, it's amazing. <laughs> well, internet's fine right now, so I'll just I'll boot it up in the background. Okay, it's welcome. Yeah, it's a little, uh, it's like a little pod. Almost looks like a old school flip phone. It's even got like the yeah. old, uh, the old shitty animation. Hold on. Wait, oh, wait, yeah. Hey, yeah. You know, got that early 2000s aesthetic. Um, there we go. And... I just go down. Well, you can't see it because I'm screen recording, but I just go on down. You'll be able to see it. Connect to it. Where you at, bitch? Where you at, bitch? Not talking to you, Roger. Talking to the machine. I <laughs> correct. <laughs> and it should freeze for a second. Now, are you coming through, Roger? Because, yep. There we go. You back? Yep. Now we're good. Now we're on my fucking 5G. We? Now we're good. That's why I got it, to not fuck <laughs> up these episodes. Take that, internet. Okay. All right, so now we're back. But yeah, the eight yeah. Dark Sun is... I love the... I love the final chapters when they're just breaking down what really just kind of... 
the, the anatomy of the actual device it just seems like modern day alchemy it's just a layer of gold yeah. a breath of tritium it's got you know a plastic ablative shield and it's and they're just going through and it's yeah. all happening and, and, in millions of a second and the and and one of the critical components is a styrofoam sheath yeah 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 and then not only not only that and then what's what's the name of the tube they have they've got that like two mile long tube full of helium do you remember coming out the side oh oh yeah the the one that they used to sample the radiation from mike yeah 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 uh, and they put yeah weird... i think it was actually called a sample tube or something yeah but... and they got yeah no yeah they put weird shit no. at the end of it like lanthanum and xanthanum and all the yeah. weird and exotic all, elements all, uh, all that shit was destroyed by the bomb they were studying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, but it, but it relayed it to an offsite thing in, in just a fraction of a millisecond, and it's, but yeah, it's just so weird. And like the blasting of like the pusher plate and the uranium sheathing, and it's just, it's all. And then like you realize as this thing's going on, you just have these top mines with billions of dollars and something like ten percent of the U.S. electrical output. <laughs> and it's all towards building a fucking bomb. Not the cure for cancer. A bigger oh, boom. Yeah. <laughs> I like I like the story in the uh in, in the first book about them building the uh the cyclotrons and they used the American silver supply to yeah. wind the coils. <laughs> yeah. And they're like we and, and, and uh you know like we need so many tons of silver and the secretary of the treasury just saying our unit is the troy ounce yeah yeah <laughs> it's almost like a, a gorbachev in uh the hbo series chernobyl mm-hmm. and he's like the guy's like i need i need the liquid nitrogen gorbachev is like how much and he's like All how much it. does the soviet <laughs> union have and he's like i will give you the soviet union's and he's like, all of it, he's like, whatever the union has, I need it. And he's just like, you have it. You have it. We're going to put yeah. sand on it. But it made lava. You made lava. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's it's not only that. What about, I think it was the U2, uh, uh, the fuel. The fuel could also be used, could be made out of a, one of the components was bug spray or with the same chemicals. Yeah. Yeah. In, um, in the late 50s. I, mean, I think you must have uh, been mentioning that uh, one of our previous uh, oh, that was? Okay. conversations. Because I think you mentioned the yeah, no bug spray this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn it, damn it, yeah. Bugs, yeah, we one summer. We got to spy, yeah. spy on the Russians. Yeah, no bug spray. Just why? Because we got to fucking... I can't explain it to you now. But you can't have bug spray because Francis Gary Powers were shot down. I can't I can't legally <laughs> link it. But, but that's what it is. Shot down, no bug spray. I'm sorry. But it's just high-level politics but yeah so uh fuck it let's get into today's episode all right roger well i uh i wanted to talk about the casino odyssey and that was one of the first things i wrote for corrosion in 2001 uh it was before 9-11 uh but that was one of the things that made my reputation on corrosion uh and that meant that it led indirectly to me writing a lot more things and eventually to mopey seeing the light of day because it was the people reading me there that uh basically pressed me to let them put it online so that people could see it um but uh that part of my life uh from two you know, over 
roughly 2001 till the end of the aughts, I spent a lot of time writing online, particularly for that group. And uh, that was kind of what I did then. But before that was the casino years. Uh, So my life has gone through these little phases. uh, And I learned a lot in each time and then kind of moved on to something else. Um, But for eight years or so, I spent nearly all of my time either thinking about gambling or doing it. they, uh, it was, and, and, and that went through a few phases too, but it all started of course in 1990 when Mississippi legalized, uh, gambling and you probably can't imagine what this was like, but before that happened, the only places in the United States where gambling was legal were Nevada and Atlantic city. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to play a game of blackjack legally, then you had to go to Las Vegas or, or Atlantic City. There was, you know, or maybe Tahoe. You know, they had a couple of small places, but, but then Mississippi of all places, this land of all of the Fundy Baptists and everything, decides to get in on the action. The Luxie. And, and uh, so the first couple of years, it was building, and a lot of the early boats, the early all of all of the facilities were boats. The way that they did it was, uh, you had to gamble over water. Casinos had to be floating, uh, and I think that's what got the Fundy Baptists off their uh, backs because it would keep it out of the middle of the state. So you would have to be along the river or on the coast to to have gambling. Um, but the early casinos were things like converted river boats, and they were kind of cramped. They didn't have a lot of amenities. So there wasn't a lot to recommend them unless you were already really interested and that's what you wanted to do. But by 1992, you started to have some really nice facilities and people were talking about them. You had Casino Magic Bay St. Louis and Grand Casino Gulfport, which were both large barges that looked more like a building than a boat from the outside. I mean, in fact, the regulators made the casino magic people prove it was floating before they would license it because it looked so much like a building. Um, and uh, we, uh, my company was actually involved with it because we supplied some of the, uh, some of the uh, uh, equipment that they use. It turns out that slot machines that use coins use so many coins that they have to weigh them in order to count them and they weighed them in a big hopper scale uh if you've seen the movie casino there's a scene that Mm -hmm. takes place in the hard count room where they punch in the number of the slot machine and they dump the coins into this automated hopper and it tallies them and then dumps them out of an auto little pneumatic uh operated door and so we actually represented one of the manufacturers that sold that so we were in some of these facilities before they opened and we knew about them and they, the other guys came back and said you know they have a really nice restaurant at the grand they have uh they were starting to come out with uh all, all the typical things in those days also uh, there was a lot of subsidized stuff uh that was a lot cheaper than it would be anywhere else because hey it's a casino so they could you know they just want to get you in the door whatever they can do to attract you um i have my story up here for reference make sure i hit all the points but that's one of the big points there now did they ever consider is does it have to be now does it have to technically be a ship or does it just have to be floating it just had to be floating that was the way they wrote the law and it varied there were uh several river boats in fact a couple that had actually been moved from the mississippi river uh there was one actual cruise ship the uh the copa and uh 
after the first round of uh, properties got into the market, everyone started building these barges. So you would park in an on-land garage, walk down a ramp. It's a, you know, they would have a, a ramp that goes up and down so that the tides can you know, allow the casino to go up and down. And then you're basically in this building built on a barge. And from in, from inside, it just it, it's exactly the same as being in any other kind of building, but you're you're technically floating. So Does, anyway, <laughs> because, sorry, because we got a little delay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna raise my hand when I have a question, so we don't cut each other off. So, sure. Thank you. For, thank you for calling on me, Roger. Now, is there a is there a um, requirement for the depth of the water? Could you just build this big ass fucking barge and put it in like the marsh? And just build it like the size of a mall. Oh, let me tell you about the place in Tunica. Uh, there's a, there's a group of casinos that located themselves on the river just south of Memphis. That's that Tunica ended up being the third largest market in the United States after uh, Las Vegas and Atlantic City because they were basically suburban Memphis. It's, it's there less than an hour drive from the Memphis market. And uh, these three casinos got together and they bought a point of land that was outside of the regular uh, levy system. And, but it had a farmer's levy that was not quite as, as high, you know, that the farmers had built for themselves. And when the river was high, they broke the levy and let the point fill with water. And then they fixed the levy. And when the and when the river went down, it stayed full of water. And that's where they built their casinos, basically in this giant swimming pool. <laughs> Hey, make stupid laws. There's going to be stupid repercussions. <laughs> so, it, yeah, there was some creativity going on there. But, yeah, basically, if you could drag a rope under it, then they they didn't argue with it. In fact, I think that's literally what they did to Casino Magic is they made them take a rope and prove that they could drag it all the way under the boat <laughs> from one end to the other. Prove that it wasn't touching the bottom. But Jesus. Yep, it's four inches deep. That's good enough, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, but so anyway, the upshot of that was that the first uh, casinos were in uh, along the Gulf Coast. Bay St. Louis is the closest to New Orleans, which of course was going to be their big close by market. Uh, then they had a group in Gulfport, and the biggest group ended up being in Biloxi, which is about midway between the state lines uh, along Highway 90 and, and Interstate 10. Um, then you had upriver. The ones that were upriver were generally quite a bit harder to get to because the interstates run a, a up the middle of the state quite a distance from the river in the state line so once you got off the interstate it was quite a little trek to get to natchez or tunica or, or uh or uh, vicksburg where some of these other places were um and most of those stayed small market except for tunica most of those just stayed small markets up there they were more locals places but the gulf coast they ended up being uh the number four market in the United States after Tunica after a few years. So I remember when, when they legalized it in Mississippi, it was Atlanta, it was Las Vegas, Atlantic city, and then the entire state of Mississippi was number three. And then after a few years, it was Las Vegas, Atlantic city, Tunica, and then of Biloxi. And they like to brag that Biloxi was the only market in the United States other than Las Vegas where you could walk out of one casino and walk to the one next door if you thought like your luck was bad or something. All of the other bet markets 
required if you wanted to go from one casino to another you would have to get your car because they were too far to walk even tunica and which is was a neat trick especially the ones that built their own bathtub on the the river point there but um their entrances were like 400 feet apart and their garages were radial layout um but anyway so uh Mississippi also did another thing right, which they they did a very good job of regulating the industry. I was impressed by this from the beginning, that uh, they seem to have looked at the laws in Nevada and in uh, uh, New Jersey and pretty much cherry picked the best what they thought was working the best for the gang for, for the gamblers themselves uh, and for the the properties. Uh, they believed in competition, so they uh, as long as you pass the or you know that they. Uh, didn't have any crime entanglement or, or something. They made it very easy to get a license. Um, and uh, by contrast, Louisiana had to do the Me Too thing, which they got around to doing two or three years later. And they had to limit everything. So there would only be uh, you know, a certain number. They were all going to be on the water too. And uh, they made it much more difficult to get a license. And uh, they just put up a bunch of roadblocks. Uh, so the Louisiana industry was never as strong as Mississippi's. Mississippi was the Wild West for a while, but 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 the well-regulated Wild West. It was uh, probably the place more like Las Vegas than anywhere uh, in the in the country for a long time. Um, so in 1992, uh, we're starting to hear all these things about it, and my wife and I had never been in a casino in our lives because we'd never been anywhere either in Nevada or New Jersey but now they're opening all these places there's a lot of uh, buzz about them uh, and so we like well let's go check it out one day we got in the car it's about a 90 minute drive from here to uh, to Gulfport of Biloxi that area and we visited the Grand uh, the Grand Casino in Gulfport and, uh, and it was bewildering I mean we, we, we walked into a cold we didn't know anything about it and so we watched the roulette wheel for a bit and tried to figure out how people were betting on it and what it meant. And we sat in, you know, we finally joined and played a few hands of blackjack and didn't have any idea what we were doing there and put a few quarters in slot machines. And uh, I think we may have eaten the buffet and, and then we were just like slunk home. Uh, and for like, before we do that again, we got to figure out what the hell we're doing. So we bought a book. Remember those? And, uh, the book we bought was called Guerrilla Gambling by a guy named Frank Sclabetti. And he is still a popular writer on gambling issues. He does uh, some periodical uh, series and uh, he, he writes how-to books. And, uh, and uh, his books are not perfect. Uh, he does believe in some superstitious woo that she'll let creep in at times. But, but he's very knowledgeable about the general environment. And so it was a really good introduction to what, what all the games are, how to buy in, what bets to avoid because they're stupid sucker bets. Uh, and, you know, I, when we went in the grand, the very first thing we see is the big wheel. The, you know, it's just like six foot diameter wheel, it's like the a thing from a carnival. And we don't know what the, well, it turns out that's one of the worst bets in the house. It has one of the highest uh, house edges of anything that you can bet on in the yeah. entire damn building. Yeah. Um, so Frank, Frank Slavetti straightened us out on all that stuff. And so we went back with a, a plan. We knew the, you know, about what we could expect to lose betting on this, that, or the other thing. We knew that the food was cheaper and we quickly found out uh, better quality than what we could generally get uh, for that kind of money at restaurants here yeah. in your home. So uh, we ended up forming a little budget where we would give each, give ourselves 50 bucks a trip 
and every week we went to the Gulf Coast and uh, we would eat the cheap buffet. And so that that we took that out of money that we had been spending to go to the occasional movie or, or to eat out at home, you know. Um, and uh, in my case, well, well, we also had a friend. And I called all of these characters by, by letters of the alphabet in the original story because they were all still active and I didn't want to out them. So I'm going to try and do that for consistency okay. here. If a name slips out, I'll try and catch it. Okay. But uh, our friend X uh, was actually a gambling addict. He, he had a hardcore obsession and he he was also very catholic and he thought the coming of the casinos were like a sign sent to him by the blessed virgin mary that this was his destiny in life to become a professional gambler and uh, and he 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 spent a great deal of time teaching himself to count cards uh and learning all of the strategies uh all of the optimal things for all of the games but but mostly he wanted to be a card counter um and he was failing at it pretty badly and he didn't understand why but he was reliable for sharing the gas money and the the car hardware to get out there because it was fairly long drive um and so we kind of pitched in um he uh and uh, and my girlfriend i called her y in the story so x and y were our first two sure. uh, people we'll encounter um so anyway we started going out there every week and it got kind of boring in my case because one of the most fortunate things that has probably ever happened to me in my entire life is when I started gambling, I had a losing streak from hell. I made 15 visits and was never up. <laughs> I would start playing, lose, lose early, never make it back. I made 15 visits to the casino where I was never up a single hand the entire time. So in an hour or so, I would finally bust out and lose my 50 bucks. Now I would spend the rest of the evening hanging out next to Y and hoping I could score free drinks. Yeah. Now, meanwhile, we were playing the same way. It wasn't like I was doing anything stupid. And I knew that I wasn't doing anything stupid, but it's like, man it's like you know did i walk under a ladder and trip over a black cat on the way over here what it was just like one yeah. of those things uh, and i finally uh, reached the point where i got tired of it and, you know because because why it had some winning sessions and so she had built her bankroll up a little so she wasn't as prone to busting out if she had some bad luck because she had a few hundred bucks and we were keeping records too uh, which is something that the irs advises that you do they actually tell you how to do it so that in the event you have a winning year, you, in order to deduct your losses against your wins, you have to make proper records of them. You have to write down what casino you visited, what games you played, and how much you won or lost. And for each visit and uh, uh, and each game that you played uh, for any length of time. And a lot of people who get burned by this are slot players mm -hmm. because they will actually have a winning year because they hit a jackpot. Well, if they haven't been writing all this stuff down in a in one of those notebooks where you can't tear the pages out, you know, they tell you it's, it's got to be like that, uh, then the, the, they, they can't deduct their losses. They got to pay taxes on the whole win and they can't get any of it back uh, for, for what they lost on the way there. So we, we were just doing that as a matter of course. And it turned out to be fortunate because we could see exactly what we were doing. And we realized eventually that most people who gamble regularly don't have any idea how much they're losing uh, 
or winning, but mostly that they're losing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, like I said, I, I had 15 losing visits in a row, and I finally said, fuck this. I'm, I'm out. Uh, I could have bought a new computer now with the money I've pissed away on this project. Um, I'm, I'm staying home. Yeah. So X and Y kept going out. And it was a few months later that they finally dragged me back. And what happened was this was because of a phenomenon called tournaments. These were real popular on the Gulf Coast in this, at this time. And so the casino announces we're going to have a blackjack tournament or a craps tournament or a slot tournament. So say it's a blackjack tournament. You, you buy in for 20 or $50, some amount like that. And there's a prize pool where the top winner might get a thousand or five thousand dollars and there might be a few prizes beneath that uh but basically you go to your qualifying table and they give you five hundred dollars in non-negotiable chips so they look and feel like you know they're the same color as the real money chips but they're obviously not real money chips so you can't cash them out at the bank at the, at the cashier but you then you play like 30 hands of blackjack or a half an hour of craps or you you play the slot machine for 10 minutes and at the end of it whoever has the most play money wins the table so a lot of people just played it for fun of being able to do all this crazy shit for amounts of money that you would never do with real money because you're not going to blow 500 dollars in half an hour uh making crazy bets but it was also the case that there's a strategy if you're playing in a tournament uh, because when you make your big bet, which you're going to have to do because you're going to have to uh, establish position, no one's going to win with the original 500 bucks, but you want to strategize so that if you win your big bet, you get position out of it. And a lot of the players didn't understand that. They uh, they would bet big at the same time you were or in a craps tournament on the same event that you were. And then you win your big bet. You've taken that risk and it's a wash. You're right where you were when you started out. Well, we knew better than that. And so we had an advantage over the other players and the casino didn't care because you're not winning it from them. In fact, most of the tournaments were the giveaways anyway. They were giving away more prize money than they were taking in an entry fees, which was a nice feature of them. But again, I didn't I didn't show up for it. I mean, I was like, I stayed away. The, uh, X and Y begged me to come out and play because you get another person, you have that much more chance of getting you know the jackpot-like final mm-hmm. prize. Typically, everyone at the finals table would get some amount of money, but most of it was the top one or two. And I was just like, I can't, I was like, I can't win a bet on what time of day it is. You you expect me to win enough bets to win a fucking tournament table? Like that's going to (laughs) happen. So I had to go back though. When, uh, this after several months, um, I may have been as much as six months, but, uh, the lady luck casino opened, they hadn't been open. They were, they were putting the finishing touches on the boat and the ground facility when we went to the grand that time. But finally the lady luck opened and, uh, they were open for a few months. They had a real good reputation for their food. They tried to one up the grand with that for a while. All these places were trying to one up. They had rest, they had buffets that were like 12 bucks and had five star quality food for a few of their, their entrees. You know, some of them had crab legs and shit. Uh, so anyway, the Lady Luck decided to do a tournament, and their weekly tournament was pretty much like everyone else. You pay your twenty bucks. You have a, you know, the the prize money was about what the entry fees added up to. So that wasn't spectacular. But what was spectacular was they said if you played in the weekly tournament, they would give you a free entry into the monthly tournament. They only did this twice. Uh, the monthly tournament had a twenty thousand dollar prize pool. 
had a $10,000 first prize, and then everyone at the finals table split the rest of it. Well, if only a few hundred people show up for the monthly tournament, then your expected value just for playing in the thing was a few hundred dollars, which is well worth getting in the car and driving to Biloxi. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, of course, I had my typical pessimistic thing. I had over the psychologists have shown that people who are learning to gamble overtrain on whatever happens to them in the early going. And this is why it's the worst thing that can happen to you to have a lucky streak when you start gambling, because you will expect that more than it is ever likely to happen for the rest of your life. Well, what I expected was to fucking lose. I mean, I, you know, to this day, I never expect to lose when I place it. I never expect to win when I place a bet, which is cool because when I do win, it's a pleasant surprise. Damn, look at that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and sure enough, in the that in that weekly tournament, I played at my qualifying table, made a big bet, lost it, and busted out, which is about what I expected. So I'm like, okay, so I'm here. So then the monthly tournament comes around, and the same thing happens. I bust out on my qualifying table, but I got drawn into the semifinals in the in the fishbowl drawing. It's like they they drew like six people uh, who had lost their qualifying round to have a to the semifinal tables and i legitimately won the semifinal table which was like you've got to be fucking kidding me i had to make like two or three big bets in order to do it too and it's like blackjack it worked it worked fucking worked so so i'm at the finals table where everybody is going to have money now one one of these poor saps is only going to have 500 bucks but you know but then one of them is going to have 10k so uh, the other thing is uh, X also made the finals. So that was a really powerful position for us because we had two people uh, who were basically now you're not supposed to collude, but you know we each knew which where our bread was buttered, right? So the idea was uh, X could make a bold move earlier than he would if he was alone uh, and maybe get position. And then if that went bad, I would still be there. Well, and that's what happened. He busted out and did a blast. Uh, so I played more conservatively and didn't have the losing streak from hell. Uh, managed to make, you know, I didn't make any really big bet. I was trying to kind of keep a middle of the pack position. And I ended up coming in third, which was $2,500. So with our split, since David and I were both, I said, X and I were both at the uh, finals table, we split the 80% winner's share. I'll blip that. Uh, Do you want me to blip that out? Uh, I don't know how much more often it's going to happen. So okay, okay. It's, it's not critical now. Okay, it's, uh, okay. This is all ancient history. Okay, okay. Uh, I mainly want to use the letters for consistency if anyone goes back to read my original account. Okay. Um, but uh, so uh, we split 80%. So each of us got $1,000 and Y got 500 for her bankroll. And just like that, I wasn't down anymore. That made up for all that, all 15 of those visits when I couldn't win a bet on the phase of the moon, all of a sudden I was up. So I was much less resistant to coming the next uh, month okay. to do another tournament and to do the next, the next final. It turned out they only did it one more time. Okay. And on the second month, I ended up being the only person who made the finals table both times. All right. And... I was terrified because this was this was like I, I just didn't expect this to work at all. So 
uh, going into the last hand of the black, you know, the last hand of blackjack, I was, I was like in last place and really needed to just bet all my money. Mm -hmm. But I was kind of hoping someone else would make a move too. And I didn't bet as much as I really should have. And everyone else bet $5. And I was like, crap, I just threw away my chance because Mm -hmm. if I had just bet it all, you know, and all I had to do is win this one bet and it was 10 grand. Well, it turned out I didn't think I had bet enough, but I hear X behind me after the hand, after they play the hand and I win my bet, I hear X going, I think he's got it. I think he's got it. Now you gotta remember that X and Y have been playing these tournaments for months. So they've gotten good at just looking at one of these trips of one of the skills is, is, is figuring out how much money the other guys have so you know how much to bet against them. And that was one of my weaknesses because I hadn't been playing as, as much as they had. And I, I wasn't as good at estimating that. And when they counted it all out, uh, I was like still kicking myself and all. And the, I feel the pit boss tap, tap me on the shoulder and said, well, Roger, it looks like you've got it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it's like, yeah, you won. And the guy who had thought he was in first place before, who was already talking to his wife about the cruise they were going to take, stops in the middle of a sentence, wheels around. If his eyes had had lasers in him, he would have drilled a hole in me and said, what? Got them damn chips again. Oh, shit. <laughs> I, had, I had won by $2.50. Oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> All right. So this was actually, I thought you were going to say the pit boss was going to knock you for like counting or colluding or something. But, well, okay. well, counting counting doesn't do any good in uh, in a tournament. Okay, and yeah. Well, still, I, was I wasn't sure. At, I, was... I was alone at that finals table. Okay. Well, still, I wasn't sure if he was just yeah gonna. But put but, a but yeah, it was like so this this so what follows then is the surreal thing where they count out ninety five hundred dollar bills and put them in your hand. I'd never seen so much money in one place in my life. Uh, it, it was just like you've got this is the, is, yeah. is this really happening? Um, and so, needless to say, after that, I was not reluctant to go to the casino anymore. Um, I went out and bought a computer. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I, said, I could have bought a computer. Well, now I could buy a computer. Uh, and oddly, that broke my losing streak, too. Uh, and you would think, well, it doesn't have anything to do with anything. But uh, this whole thing where I would start betting $5 a hand and do nothing but lose for an hour stopped happening. And I, I would walk in and start betting and be up for a while sometimes. So at that point, uh, we started to really come more often. We were coming two or, you know, two or three times a week sometimes because we were trying to hit the tournaments. The tournaments turned out to be uh, a little mini gold mine, and there weren't enough of them to make like a living, but uh, we were winning them often enough that uh, we were making several thousand dollars a year on that and the promotions and stuff. Uh, you uh, you could pretty much cover your gas money by visiting all the casinos. They would all put a roll of quarter and a roll of quarters in your hand just for showing up mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do a drag line down the whole Gulf Coast, and it's like you come away with you know fifty dollars and quarters easily. Yeah. Um, then there was other things. There was promotional coupons where you get like uh, uh, double you know, double pay if you want to hand a blackjack and. Uh, uh, free slot play and just all kinds of stuff. There were drawings and we would enter all of those. Um, and what it did for us personally is it swung our entertainment expenses from several thousand dollars a year that we had been spending to become several thousand dollars a year that we were making 
Okay. Uh, so it wasn't enough to be like a living, but made a huge difference in our finances. Yeah. Um, because we were able to do this. And so we got, you know, it, it got to be where I got interested anytime a new game came along. The other, is this machine beatable? Is we, you know, wait for the progressive to get to a certain level and stuff like that. Um, and uh, that's pretty much where part one of the original essay ends is, is that we, you know, we had been going to the casino for several years. Uh, we were making money instead of losing it we had a lot of friends because there was a group of regulars that would show up for the tournaments and we uh you know made friends uh among them uh, and uh it, it was just you know we didn't think too hard about the people who were not winning uh and i told all of my friends and their typical response was yeah i went to the casino this weekend but i like to just play the slots it's like well that's a good way to lose money mm-hmm. um and and then there was the occasional story. Uh, there was a friend of ours who we knew well, being the five dollar player. Okay, she liked to play Caribbean stud, and one day she won the three hundred thousand dollar Caribbean stud jackpot. Cool. Well, for the, the the main change this made in her life is that she started playing at the green chip twenty five dollar Caribbean stud table instead of the five dollar red chip table. Well, six months later, uh, she had lost her husband and the $300,000, and she was working as a blackjack dealer to support herself because she had lost it all, and uh, it destroyed her life. Now, yeah, so so this is a thing that does happen. And we did see it, but we were like, well, that doesn't happen very often. But we were we were also with a bunch of people who were making a point of playing a game where you couldn't lose that much. I mean, the whole point of showing up as a tournament is you get to do all this crazy shit uh, with, with amounts of money you would never do it with. But you're only spending, you know, 20 bucks or whatever, and that's, that's all you can lose. Uh, so those are not people who are inclined to do crazy things at the real tables. Uh, that's why they're playing in the tournament for the most part. Um, and uh, meanwhile, and then there was X, his dream of becoming a card counter. The way that that was going <laughs> is he would play for a while. He would he would do things like selling his blood and selling meat door to door, which is the classic crackhead job because they pay you in cash every day. Or college. Uh, all my friends used to donate plasma for beer money. And once you donated blood, too, you'd also need less beer to get fucked up. <laughs> well, that wasn't the concern with David because he was convinced he, he wanted to count cards, which meant he had to stay sharp and all. But uh, he kept losing his stake. And so he'd, he'd scrape together a few thousand dollars and then quit his job if he had one. He, he, had, uh, he did a stint working for the cable company that they they loved it because he was actually a very good salesman when he wanted to be mm-hmm. and he had uh such good statistics selling cable services that the cable company really wanted to put him in a truck and he is like nope don't want it just you know give me you know so, you know finally he he got enough money together he quit it and went back to the casino and lost it in a few weeks so uh one of the other things that they would do you had the tournaments every once in a while back then the casinos would do something really stupid uh and one of the stupidest things they would do is the two to one blackjack promotion they would run a promotion where 
if you got a natural 21, instead of getting paid three to two, you would get paid two to one. Now, if you play perfect basic strategy, that gives you an edge of about 1% over the casino instead of them having their edge. And it's more consistent because unlike card counting and card counting, you're waiting for opportunities to bet. You're waiting for high counts when you put the money out and the rest of the time you're just marking time and losing as little as possible. Well, on a two to one blackjack promotion, you have that expected value every time they deal the cards. So whenever they would get wind of one of these, X and Y would both pile into the car, get all of the cash that they could scrape together and go play it for as long as they would be, uh, be allowed for, you know, typically they would let you do $25 a hand or something. And every time this happened, they would make several thousand dollars before they got kicked out of the casino. Um, and, and that's the thing I've had people ask, you know, they, do they kick you out for using your brain it's like yeah they can kick you out for whatever reason yeah. they want it's a private private, private, private place they can boot you yeah they don't give a fuck yeah now they can't like have you arrested or put you or throw you in jail either because it's legal mm -hmm. but they can disinvite you from their property so uh one of these times after three or four years uh they they went upstate upstate mississippi they had some dipshit little bird I think it was a couple of casinos in Vicksburg got the same idea at the same time. So they hit them up and uh, X's share of that was like four or $5,000. Um, and I, we all expected him to go back to the pattern, you know, go back, count some cards, bust out. But instead he started calling me. I mean, he was calling me every day and it was about math. Uh, he had studied how to count cards and what his expected value was and all until he was blue in the face. He could talk to you about multi-level counts and, and uh, uh, error rates and this effect on that and all. But there was a, uh, another equation called risk of ruin. And what that tells you is if you're playing with an advantage, of, if you have such and such an advantage and your bankroll is so large, what are your chances of doubling your bankroll before you lose it all in a natural random downswing? And the loose rule of thumb, it varies, of course, depending on exactly how the game is run. Uh, but to be a, a successful card counter, you need probably at least 100 of your big bets, yeah, the, the, the bets that you make when the count favors you, uh, in your bankroll in order to have a, a good chance of surviving natural random fluctuations long enough to realize your expected value mm -hmm. and day and, and x was playing with more like 10 you know he, okay. he would have a, a you know he would have a few thousand dollars and he would be making 100 and 200 big bets and he would just hit a natural negative streak like that one that wiped me out the first 15 times i visited the casino that's a perfectly normal thing to happen in a yeah. nearly even situation yeah the, the, the universe is perverse and uh, so, but he, he knew the formula, he knew the result, he knew what he was doing wrong, but he couldn't bring himself to believe it because he didn't understand where that formula came from and, and why it was giving such what, what he thought was a crazy result. So he started asking me about questions about how it was derived. And I ended up teaching him algebra when he was in his 40s so that he could work this out. And I ended up teaching him how to write little computer simulations so that he could simulate runs of hands and see what would happen with the random number generator. And in the end, after he had done this for a while, he was also discussing these things on discussion boards 
uh, for uh, the math heads on the internet. And there were people who had advanced degrees in math who considered him an expert because he, he had all of this fine-grained knowledge about the, the gambling math that no one had any idea that he had learned all this shit when he was in, in, in his 40s that, yeah. uh, from, from a friend that, you know, instead of actually going to college. Yeah. But the upshot of that was he finally convinced himself that he, he, he was really doing it wrong and he had to bet more in line with the actual bankroll that he had. Yeah. So it turned out that he was fortunate. There was a casino in New Orleans that has, uh, had, had screwed up their paperwork somehow, and uh, it was the Flamingo Hilton uh, at the base of Canal Street, and they had lost their license, or they were going to lose their license. There, it, was, it was like it was known in six months, this place is closing. There's no way to save it. The license has already been given to one of the competitors for a different property. So nobody at this boat cared what you okay. did. Okay. So he went in and started betting five to twenty-five. What they, you know, and when you're counting cards, everything is about your spread. Uh, the, the difference between your small bet that you make when the cards favor the house versus the large bet you make when the cards favor you. And uh, so he practically hung a sign around his neck that said, "I am counting cards." Yeah. As far as anybody who was looking for it, and the people at that boat didn't care. They, yeah. Okay. So uh, just on them, he tripled or quadrupled his his original bankroll so he was able to bet a little more and then he went back to the gulf coast and uh eventually he worked that uh his bankroll up to about eighty thousand dollars so at that level he could legitimately bet black chips in a high count uh which is a hundred you know but black gamblers talk about bet levels in terms of the color of the chip right so red is five dollars green is 25 black is a hundred purple is 500 and some casinos have bigger denominations, but not most of these at the time. So anyway, he, he actually got to the point where he could throw out a black chip in a high count. But at the same time, all of these people at the casinos knew that he was counting cards because they knew what he had been doing, which they let him do because he was losing. And he kept losing. and going. Well, once he started winning, everybody kicked him out. Okay. So this is where part two of... The essay of the, of the essay series begins where we get involved with X because after he got kicked out of all the properties, he came to us because we had been doing the tournament splits and playing the tournament strategy. And he knew that we would, we could be trusted with the money and to, uh, you know, to just give what was owed and all that. Sure. And so he, he put it to us that if we would play for him, uh, he would give us half the win. Okay. Now I walked at this and I was like, I have a real job. Uh, I can't afford to spend all that much time out there. And plus, there are two elements to card counting as a, as a, as a thing. One, of course, is the system, the math, working out what you're going to do when the cards come out and the count goes up or down, how it's going to change your strategy, how it's going to change your bet level. That's developing the system. And I became pretty conversant with that because I was going back and forth with X while he worked out uh, the kinks in, in what he was doing. But then there's execution. There's actually walking into the casino with real money and making these bets and maintaining the count and making the decisions on the fly in real time while you're playing a game and also while you're doing the social stuff and maybe having a, uh, a drink that you don't sip that much and, and conversations with the other players and the dealer and all and acting like a real player. Mm -hmm. um, 
and that takes practice. And I really didn't have time to do that. But why was like, hmm, half the win for none of the risk. That sounds like a no-brainer. Uh, because her gig before this happened was she had been a freelance writer for the mid-range magazine market. So she would uh, sell articles that she would get a few hundred dollars for to like trade mags, pe uh, pet hobby magazines, things like that. So she wasn't writing for Cosmo and uh, and, and Playboy, but uh, she could write fast and she could write a uh, good copy that didn't need editing. So she got a lot of business, but all of that was going away because of the internet. It, you know, her primary competition, believe it or not, was GeoCities websites. Okay. They were putting the magazines she worked for out of business okay. because because you can't sell what people are giving away. Yeah, yeah. So she decided to go all you know, go in and 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 tackle this project. And the, so she was going out to the Gulf Coast four or five times a week, and that brings another thing that. Uh, we, we, we came to realize we started hanging around uh, with more with people who count cards is that it's not a good idea to count cards for low stakes and then move to high stakes because the casino will make what you're doing when you're when, when you're at low stakes and they won't care so you won't realize that they know or that they care but then when you're playing for higher stakes they will care and so uh, why came in after, you know, she had never been never been counting at low stakes. She came in counting at stakes that were a good fraction of what X had been playing for, but uh, just out of nowhere. And the way we covered that was everyone did know I was into computers. Uh, several several of my best friends in the tournament circuit were people who were also programmers or engineers, and so we just like coyly hinted that I might have been up to something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, legal or otherwise you to, know to, no to, one wanted to go back a second you said that the casinos did know when you were doing it at they still knew when you were doing it at lower hands it, they just it wasn't enough of an impact for them to it wasn't worth their time yeah. to care yeah right. uh the guy who founded the grand casino famously clapped a guy on the back one day uh who had been counting cards in his, his casino for months uh but who had increased his stakes and said uh, something to the effect of, tell you what, kid, if you keep it to a dull roar, I'll let you gamble with me. So you had a lot of old school gamblers running some of these places, and they didn't mind because actually they had the mindset that you needed winners to bring in the losers. Sure. And it, it was widely thought that the only reason people played blackjack was because it was thought to be a game that you could beat. Okay. Everybody knew about Beat the Dealer. But very few people had actually read it, and fewer than that had actually figured out how to do what it said you could do. I'm I'm listening. I'm I'm plugging in the uh... the old MacBook is heating up. I gotta plug in my little my little <laughs> fan. It's a uh, yeah. It's, it's like a little vacuum thing. Hmm. It's uh, and you put it next to any exposed kind of just any air vent, and it sucks the heat out. And it's got a little temperature gauge. You can watch it go down. It it's it's decent for my budget it's a uh, yeah it's uh, other than getting a newer more efficient computer right <laughs> yeah i mean i would i would but you know ten dollars new macbook you know yeah. for versus 1500 uh, oh so oh, if you if, um, if, if you're lucky 1500 <laughs> you're, you're, i think you're getting a little closer to 3k um 
Oh, yeah. Let's hope this bitch works. There we go. The webcam pointing in an interesting direction here. <laughs> here we go. All right. It's pulling it so, out. Yeah, so, so what, what it is is that a lot of times they would spot you counting cards at, at small stakes and just not say anything because yeah. no one would care too much. And a lot, even a lot of people who counted cards still lost because they would play other games, yeah. they would do other things, uh, or they would just play and be offset by the much more numerous losers. And it's just putting most, butts in seats. Yeah, uh, and most people don't realize the thing about blackjack is that it is a game of, of skill, but there's no skill to it. Uh, there is an optimum strategy called basic strategy that can be worked out by a computer. And uh, it tells you in every situation of uh, your card, uh, your cards versus the dealer, what you should do for the optimum result. And there's there, you can reason some of it out like, well, if I uh, stand on the 16, the dealer is actually likely to make a hand and no matter what hand they make. It's going to be but it's not that you reason it out with stuff like that, because if you try that, you won't get it optimized. The computer can literally play millions of hands and work out what works best. Mm -hmm. And so for any, uh, it varies also depending on the rules of the game and, and, and all, but for any blackjack game, there is an optimal basic strategy. And every time you depart from that, you are basically giving the casino expected value, which mm -hmm. means you're giving the money. It doesn't matter whether you win or lose any particular bet. It's the long run. It's, it's in the long run. If you do that thing a thousand times, you're going to start to notice it was a bad idea. You know, if you stand on that sex scene, yes, you're not going to bust it. But if you hit it and but and take the risk of busting it, you will still m lose less money than you would if you stand on it and let the dealer make their hand. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and, and this is again because because uh, most people who gamble uh, overtrain on things that they have seen that they think will happen more often than they really will in the future because randomness is perverse. Mm -hmm. um, there's the most perfect illustration of that I've ever seen uh, is a Stephen Jay Gould essay about this cave that's inhabited by little bioluminescent organisms that live on the walls and ceiling. And in his essay, he says that if you're taking the boat through this because it's an underground river, it looks like you're sailing under the open night sky with okay. all these points of light. Okay. But with one difference, this sky doesn't have constellations. There's You have no... Uh, like interesting patterns. To, there's no no temptation to draw pictures or anything. And he said most people comparing the experience come to the conclusion that the cave sky must be more random because you don't see patterns there. But the opposite is true. The night sky is actually very randomly distributed. The cave organisms don't like to be too close to one another. They have an exclusion zone. Mm -hmm. So they arrange themselves to make sure that no two of them are closer than a certain distance yeah. to one another. So this thing that looks more ordered, you know, more random to us is actually very highly ordered. Mm -hmm. And and the same thing happens with the difference between truly random data and data that might actually not be random, that might be ordered. Um, Marcos Malitsis of the Daily Coast website fired his pollster a couple of years ago because he got a letter from a couple of mathematicians who were users on his site pointing out that the poll results 
were unrealistically random looking. They pointed out that they almost never included results with 0 0.0 in the result. They were always like 0 0.3, 0 0.4, you know, you know, and and they said that you should have even results that end in a decimal zero at least a tenth, you know, a tenth of the time. And they had done enough of these polls and reported enough results uh, that they showed that they're not doing this, which which shows they're making it up and they're making it look random. Uh, okay. So. Um, and uh, this is also used by mentalists who will ask you to guess a number. It turns out that if you're asked to guess a number between 1 and 100 uh, and a couple of guiding questions are asked, there's like three that almost always uh, that, that you will almost always end up on because no one wants to guess a number like 10. You know, that, you know so you know, there's anything that looks – you know, people, you want, they, they want their guess to be random, you know. Yeah. So it's like I think 27 is one of them. So – by uh, carefully guiding people into this, you know, you, you can be pretty sure it'll be one of those three. And then by using the typical stage tricks, you can then create this strong impression that you guessed either the number or, or it was in like your top two, you know, okay. and, and the whole audience goes, ooh, magic. So, yeah. Uh, but when you're keeping the records, the records don't lie. So what we saw was, the team was winning uh, the well, the team uh, uh, X and Y at this point for the team, um, but they were winning and they were winning consistently. We, I was winning consistently uh, doing the, you know, the other stuff that we were doing uh, with the tournaments and the offsetting and all. Um, so this was where things stood uh, after, you know, well, around, Okay, uh, probably like 1996. So they, uh, again, the casinos on the Gulf Coast started to get a little um, itchy about wise play as well uh, because you don't do as much when you do it for, for large ships. They, they started to realize they needed to go out and find more venues. But at this time, other places had also been legalizing gambling. Detroit opened their casino. Um, yeah, there was there was it's really places being opened up all over the place and of course there was las vegas which we had never visited and atlantic city now when we were still low rollers before x got his card counting thing rolling uh y and i did visit las vegas we had a coupon book and at the time it was like one of the ultimate cheap vacation experiences that you could have um, our coupon book had two for one hotel rooms at two casinos and I want to say half price at another one, uh, half price on our rental car, which you needed the rental car because the cheap casinos were locals places. They weren't on the strip. So you had to drive to them, uh, cheap food everywhere, all, you know, all kinds of things, uh, show specials. Uh, they had, uh, of course at that time in the nineties, they had all kinds of free spectaculars that they don't have anymore. Mm -hmm. The Mirage had a volcano that would, uh, a, explode every 15 minutes uh the treasure bay uh had like a pirate battle with human actors and look we we, we were walking walking around behind the back of their building one day and there was a 50 foot tall liquid nitrogen tank behind the casino 
and we were trying to figure out why the fuck does a casino need this giant liquid nitrogen tank and we finally realized it was because of the show they do four times a night where they have all these fake explosions and uh, gun gun smoke puffs and all and it was all liquid nitrogen I was gonna say, pro- probably looked an aw- probably looked an awful lot like ivy mike that big yeah. thermos hold it on was, roger give, uh, me, give me one second i gotta pee really badly Okay. I gotta pee. Roger, hold down the fort. Uh, all right. Big overhead lights giving me a headache. Hold on. There we go. Let's see how that looks. Dun dun dun. That just looks creepy now. Now I just look like a fucking psychopath sitting in the dark. <laughs> hey kids, let me tell you about the American flag. Yeah. Is that a little that's still fucking dark, isn't it? Yeah, but the camera should be able to compensate there for it. There we go, right? Turn off the brightness on the screen. Yeah, that overhead light was giving me a headache. But yeah, my apologies. Actually, oh, in, the fi- in, the, in the final thing, you're going to be the thumbnail anyway, so. Yeah, you're going to be. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Oh, yeah, in the final video, I'm just a little fucking blip up in the corner. That's what I love. Is, yeah. Yeah, I love. I keep my face so. way off in the corner. Nobody can see me. I'm just a creepy little fucking voice up in the corner. Talking about talking about Ivy Mike and nuclear bunkers. <laughs> so uh, back to the casinos. Yeah. So so anyway, we're approaching uh, the end of part two here, which is where the the card counting starts to take off. And this was something we had never really been expected to become involved in or, or anything. But uh, they started. Uh, well, we went went to Las Vegas the first time. It was the cheap stuff. So. We, we took the ride out to Hoover Dam and took the tour of the dam and we bought some of the, you know, they actually have a lot of uh, state parks and all uh, near Las Vegas. So we, we did all kinds of stuff that doesn't cost much money. And I think we spent like 500 bucks, including airfare for two of us to go and spend a week in, in Las Vegas. Um, you, can't, you can't do that anymore. Uh, they're not giving shit away that, that much. Yeah. But that was the situation in the mid nineties. And, uh, but at that time we didn't have any clue about, uh, advantage play game gambling. We were just there to snarf up the free, the, the cheap goodies, you know? Uh, so after the Gulf coast started to get a little hot, then, uh, X and Y started to go out to Las Vegas. They went to Atlantic city a few times. Um, and, uh, 
they also started to find other places that had uh, playable. Sometimes it's because the other places didn't have experience for personnel, and you could just do whatever you wanted right in front of them. They didn't have any idea. Uh, in Las Vegas, what they found was that there was just so many people that uh, the stakes that uh, they were playing for still weren't that high, and there just wasn't a lot of concern uh, about what they might do. So, uh, and a lot of the casinos. Uh, didn't actually encourage their people to learn about card counting because the surest way if you want to catch a card counter uh the surest way to do it is to count cards yourself because then you can tell the count's crap he's not betting much the count just Uh, went up and now he's putting out the big bucks uh Uh you see that happen a few times you can put x and y together and boom okay and what they would usually do is uh go ah yes uh mr x uh i'm the floor manager here and uh, i wanted to say you're uh uh i've I admire your game. You're a very skilled gambler. And unfortunately, you're a little too skillful for us. And uh, while we can offer you other games, if you want to go play craps or baccarat or something, that's fine. But we can't offer you a blackjack game anymore. Okay. And uh, that was typically how it was done in the 90s. Uh, okay. Because you read all these uh, stories about people getting their legs broken yeah, and shit. That was, that was the 70s and 80s. And by the 90s, by the, by the 90s, all, all these places were owned by real corporations, and uh, it wasn't the mob anymore. And they were like, no, we are professionals. We do not do things like this. Yeah. We, uh, we will uh, – you know, if we figure out that your presence in, is inimical to our interests, then we will simply politely invite you to go. Um, and that, was, that became a cat-and-mouse game too uh, because – the thing is they could read you the trespass act but then if they sent you a flyer inviting you back that invalidates the trespass act that they read you so all you have to do is bring the flyer they uh they they sent inviting you to come you know come for whatever promotion and if they challenged you on it you could just pull that out now they would have to read you the trespass act again but they might you might get another few hours of play out of it duck season rabbit season duck season (laughs) trespassing flyer (laughs) trespassing flyer yeah yeah. So, so that gets us to uh, what was uh, part three of the original story. And I know if you wanted to make this a two-parter, then that would be a natural break point uh, because that's going to get us into being a high roller. And what, what, how, how do you feel? I'm down to keep going. Uh, how how long have we been? For it, been what, co- about an hour and ten minutes, maybe. Do you wanna? We could do a part three, but still, I don't know. Just bullshit here for another little bit. It's up to you. What do you think is the best? What do you think is the best uh, story? Well, we're about to make a sharp turn, so if we keep going, then we'll probably want to keep going for at least another half hour, maybe an hour. So... I'm, I'm down to do another hour. It's up to you. Okay. You ready to well, ride? Let's do this. Okay. Let's rock and roll. Let's do this. Uh, so, so what happened at this point was we weren't playing in tournaments anymore. We weren't playing with the $5 gamblers and the red chippers. We were playing at the high dollar tables where actual people with lots of money play. And that was really different. Uh, when we were low rollers, it was very social because, you know, it's like we would meet our friends and go have a meal together. And, and, not, and, not, and the same, it's the same people were there uh, year after year, but we would notice at the high level play even if you met someone and saw them like uh every time you visited vegas eventually you just wouldn't see them anymore and that has to do with again most people don't understand how much it costs to gamble because they don't understand the house edge if you're playing five dollar a hand blackjack you will probably play about 100 hands an hour 
And if you're playing good basic strategy, the house edge is maybe a one or two percent. Now, most people don't play good basic strategy, so the house edge is more like three or four percent for them. But let's say you're doing everything right. Uh, so your expected uh, loss in an hour is maybe you know one percent of five hundred dollars in action because every time you put that red chip out there, that's five bucks. Action is the total of all the bets you make, not the amount of money you brought with you to the casino that you were trading back and forth. And most people don't realize how much action they give the casino. Every time you pull that lever on that slot machine, if that's a three coin, 25 cent machine, 75 cents, 75 cents, 75 cents, 75 cents. People have no idea how fast that adds up. And so a typical person playing the cheapest blackjack game or the cheapest craps game that that they can do is generally paying 10 to $20 an hour for the privilege of doing that. Now, you may go away after a visit – $500 up if you had a really good streak or you may lose 15 visits in a row like I did. But if you play thousands of hands, then your expectation is to be paying 10 to 20 bucks an hour for sitting at that table. Now, if you were going to be going to a bar anyway and paying for drinks, you may be, that may be a wash. You may, you may be coming out fine. Yeah. But if you're doing uh, that every day, because the casino is across town and you're doing it for a few hours, that adds up. People don't realize how much it adds up. Because you, if you're paying for a movie ticket every single day, you understand how much money you're spending. But if you're winning sometimes and losing sometimes and you're not keeping records, then it's a lot harder to figure out exactly where you stand. Now, at green chip level, you've got a lot of people, particularly people who would go to Las Vegas for a week a year, you know, is their gambling vacation who would, who would bet green chips. They, they, they don't mess around with the $5 table. They, 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 they were betting $25 a hand. And well, that means that you're, you're paying a hundred bucks an hour for the privilege of sitting at that table. The air gets a bit thinner mm. and most people don't realize that, but the average person with a mortgage and a car note can afford that if it's for one week a year. Yeah. Yeah, yep, it's the vacation. vacation in Vegas. Yeah, they can't afford that if it's uh, something you're doing every day. Yeah. Then we weren't playing at those tables either. When X and Y showed up, uh, once the bankroll got up to a couple hundred thousand dollars, then they're playing at the black chip tables with the hundred dollar minimums. Now, the air gets really thin there, and. There's not a lot of professions that can sustain that level of play, especially if you keep coming back. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people who will up their level of play until they bust out, like the lady who lost her $300,000 windfall in the early uh, tournament days. But there's not a lot of things that you could do that will sustain black chip play, hundreds of dollars a hand on a continuous basis. And the most suspicious thing about our play uh, as we got toward the last couple of years of the century was that we kept coming back, even though we obviously weren't athletes, politicians, or mafiosos. Okay. uh, And and it was very conspicuous how the people at these tables didn't want to talk. Um, One of the more hilarious things that happened is uh, Caesar's Palace on New Year's Eve, 1999. We, we were in Vegas, of course, all, 
uh, everyone had comp points because at this time X had several other people playing for it. Okay. The, it, it had become a team, which meant they were making money faster because they were getting more action out. Uh, and so there were several of us, and uh, we went to Caesars about mid-afternoon, and there wasn't a table in the place with less than a hundred dollar minimum. Okay. The only time in my life I've ever seen a craps table with a five hundred dollar minimum. And it's like you got to invent it. Who has the money to be standing there? So Y two K. Yeah. So anyway, and there was all these little groups here, you know, with an older gentleman in a shiny suit and two very young male, powerfully built friends. I mean, there was all over the all over the casino, right? Okay. So uh, we sit at one of the $100 minimum blackjack tables so I can get in a little play. And she makes the mistake of asking the Chinese gentleman next to her uh, where he lives. So he looks like he's thinking very hard and says, California. California. (laughs) And so we're just like, we suddenly realize, okay, this is not a permitted topic of conversation at the organized crime symposium. There is no, (laughs) there is no small talk here. There is no shut up. It was actually very charming because you had the, the uh, Italian mafia, the Chinese tongs, the Japanese Yakuza were all there having fun <laughs> together. It was it was very charming. And, and and people have challenged me on that. It's like, you're, man, you're some racist motherfucker to think. It's like, no, you had to be there. Oh, if if, uh, if someone had fact. nuked Caesar's Palace on New Year's Eve for the millennium, they would have solved the world's organized crimes problem in one swell swoop. I guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> decapitation strike there would have been a there would have been a designated survivor the mexican cartels would have would have uh, crawled out as the winners yeah it's it's it's, it's like it, it it was it was something else the uh another story from that era uh when they were starting to wind down because eventually they got to the point they were wearing disguises they were they 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 were uh using fake ids and and stuff and just doing what they could to conceal their identities because there's also just not as many people who gamble at that level yeah and they they maintain a book of people who have been uh identified and try to identify you against it they didn't have facial recognition at the time uh and what they did claim to have didn't work um but so it's like uh, my, uh, Y ended up with a whole wardrobe of clothes that she would never be caught dead in in public when she was herself. Uh, you know, it's like pink and frilly and shit, which was not her personality at all. Um, we did prove another thing, though, that it was widely conjectured among the card counting community at the time that a woman who learned to count and could do it at a high level would be able to get away with murder, they thought, because no one would expect it. It, what it actually turned out was that she got all kinds of heat because there weren't that many women who gambled at that level at all. Yeah. And so simply being a woman at one of these tables got all kinds of heat. Yeah. So she goes into, you know, so, so it's, it's getting harder to find games. So they're flying to Las Vegas and getting maybe 10 or 15 hours of play on a trip, which is still worth it. If you're betting, uh, you know, two or $3,000 a hand in high counts, then, you're making EV for that. So and especially a lot of times you're getting free airfare from the casinos that haven't figured out what you're doing yet. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but she's looking uh, just for, for something to do and uh, she's on a trip. I'm not there. Uh, she decides to duck into the hard rock and see if they have a game. And she sees this hundred dollar minimum table and there's one guy sitting there and 
they're playing a pretty fast game and there's nobody else there's you know she's looking around there's a bunch of people milling around she doesn't quite know what's going on with that but she's like this looks like a possibly a pretty playable game so she goes and sits down and uh buys in and she realizes after a few hands they are not paying any attention to her at all so she starts just basically like i said puts on a shirt that says I am counting cards and I don't care if you notice and just gets the most plays that she can out of it. And she finally leaves the table after about four hours because she's starting to get tired. You don't want to do that. You you don't want to play a game like that when you're tired because you start to make mistakes and mistakes cost money. So she's like trying to figure out what that was about because she's never, you know, it's been years since she played a game where they had that little heat when she was clearly yeah. counting cards yeah. and she gets a text on the, the team uh, group uh, SMS channel uh, from one of the other team members and says, Oh yeah. Ducked into the hard rock and saw Peter and they are playing uh, blackjack with Brad Pitt. And she was like, wait a minute. She spent four hours playing blackjack with Brad Pitt. That was the other guy at the table. And that's why they weren't paying any attention to her. And she never noticed never that it once, was Brad Pitt. Never once fucking noticed. She's probably so freaked out about getting cu- That's so badass. That, and, shout out Brad Pitt. And he probably was grateful that you know there was just this normal interaction that's just another normal person sitting at the table gambling not with getting an not autograph making a big deal about who he, he was probably he probably remembers that he's like what a great day that was i saw someone that didn't freak out they're just yeah i mean you got to imagine that celebrity like hyper celebrities like that they probably and, uh, love when someone sits next to him on like first class you know maybe does the double take but just leaves him alone they probably yeah. love it so that that was the thing is is that we started to notice that yeah there's the famous people that you you rub against every once in a while there's the people who look very much like they're supporting it by something that's illegal and then there's the people who stop coming around yeah because a normal person now a businessman who who owns a business might think that he can gamble at that level and get away with it um but he can't uh one day the bad the, the the big negative streak will hit and uh you know there's uh why likes to make the point that gambling is the worst addiction there is because there is a limit to how much coke or heroin you can put in your body but there is no limit to the amount of money that you can piss away gambling okay is okay so um i mean there's people who have lost uh empires worth uh, tens and uh, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, by being whales, you know, big yeah, yeah, yeah. time gamblers and over and overdoing it. Um, so this is the people that X and Y and his teammates found themselves hanging out with. And we're not these people. So it was like getting really strange. Yeah. And in addition to the heat from the casino, um, where it really said now here we're getting into part four okay so part three is the fairy tale okay that's like uh you were talking with Vinny last night about this you know some of the expensive liqueurs and stuff mm-hmm. and so that was one of the things is what do you do uh when they write the comp out for some ridiculous amount of money uh yeah. that same trip on new year's eve uh in 1999 uh we went uh to the rio after it was after we visited caesar's in fact you know 
why was like, what do you want to do? And well, I've had some, well, the, the Titanic exhibits, all the shit that they brought up from the Titanic was at the Rio. Okay. Uh, I, I'd like to go see that because it's never been in New Orleans. I've never had a chance to, to see that ex- exhibit. So we took the tram down and of course she's again, you know, she's a card gamer. So we don't just like pay for the ticket. We go to the blackjack pit and she buys in and she, gets a stack of black chips and asks the pit boss, by the way, do you think we can get tickets to the, uh, to the Titanic thing? And he's like, well, that's a bit above my level, but the floor boss probably could. Uh, you want me to call them over? She's like, yeah, why don't you do that? And she starts playing. Now, there's a phenomenon when you're counting cards where you are betting up into a slug of negative cards. Uh, again, random things have streaks. And what's happening is bad cards are coming out of the deck, which means the remaining cards are, are good. good. Yeah. So you're betting it up. But more bad cards are coming out of the deck, and the count's getting higher, so you're betting it up. So you're betting more and more money into this losing streak because when fives and sixes are coming out of the deck, you are getting killed. And so the floor, the floor guy comes over just in time to see her lose the last of her chips, reach into her purse, grab for a wad of hundreds. It's like, this is an act called steaming because you've been losing. You need to keep the the action up because you want to see the good cards that are at the end of that deck. As long as they're not behind the shuffle point. Want to make your money worth it. Yeah, when the good cards come out, then it, it's all it's all worth it because that's when you're betting the most and the, the math tells you if you do that right if you put the money out then even if you happen to lose on a shoe here and there which i've i, I watched them lose thirty thousand dollars on a shoe but i also watched them make 50. okay and that that's these are amounts of money that just are like do not occur in normal life for people like us no no not us average joes <laughs> so uh so anyway, the floor by the floor guy just looks at it, and you see the dollar signs pop into his eyes. And it's like, oh, tickets for the Titanic, no problem. Let me mark, let me run your comp, and and then he starts trying to sell us. And the problem is, it's New Year's Eve on on nineteen in nineteen ninety nine. We've got plans. Everybody in the fucking country has plans. They know what they're going to do. We we all had. Uh, reservations for dinner at the circus steakhouse which is one of the best steakhouses in the country right and the you know we we all had stuff lined up and so he's like you know if, if it was any other night i could put you up in one of the suites at either end of the top floor we have a spectacular view you know it's like could I, uh, would you like to have dinner i was like well we kind of have plans you know it's it's the millennium eve uh and he said well how about something light for, for maybe a brunch we have a wonderful little restaurant in the in in the basement and uh Finally, just to kind of get rid of him, because we've got our ticket to the to the exhibit, she says, okay, yeah, sure, why, why not? So, so he writes the comp out. She just stuffs it in her purse. And uh, presently, the shoe ends, and she ends up she ended up on that one about even. But uh, it, it doesn't matter how you end up on any particular shoe like that, though. It's the long, it's the math. One of, one of the big life lessons for me was seeing the team's uh, spreadsheet and that graph with the wild swings like that, superimposed. You, once it had gone far enough, you could see that trend line, yeah. that 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 one and a half percent advantage yeah. being realized. Okay. And and it, it was actually such a shock. It became a lot less fun for me to let the casino do that to me, even for chunk change, 
because because I used to you know when I wasn't doing anything else I'd play craps, uh, which is incidentally if you want to waste some time in the casino and lose as little money as possible. The line, bet, uh, the pass line at a craps table is the best bet in the house. You will lose the least amount of money while you snarf up your free drinks standing at a craps table, as long as you don't place the stupid bets in the middle. Uh, and that's because it has a very good house edge. It's uh, it's one and a quarter percent. Uh, if you're playing more than five dollars, it's even better because you can take odds, and those those pay off with no house edge. Uh, the you can't make a mistake and screw up your strategy like you can with blackjack. Once, once you put your money out there, it either wins or loses. It's all fixed. And it takes an average of over three rolls to resolve a bet. So you're not playing 100 hands an hour like you would be at a blackjack table. The whole thing, what the reason craps makes money for the casino is that it's structured to tempt you to put more money out there. Mm. Uh, and craps is intimidating because it looks like it looks so complicated. I mean, everyone tells me it's like, how do you ever figure out yeah, all the bets? That's how I am. You don't have you don't have to. It's like 40 different games that are going on at the same time. You ignore the rest of them. If you want to learn to play craps, go up to a table at a quiet time when they're not too busy and ask the dealer to show you how to, how to bet the pass line. And don't worry about anything else because it's got a rhythm to it. You know, there's a come out roll. If you roll the dice, if you, if you roll a 7 or 11, you, you win. If you roll a 2 or two, 3 or a 12, you lose. But if you roll anything else, it becomes your point. And they put a marker out on that number. And it becomes a contract bet. You're not allowed to pick your chip up now. Now you win if you repeat your point before you roll a seven. So, okay. so now you have a disadvantage because it's easier to make a seven than any of those other numbers. But the overall bet, the whole with the whole structure, has one of the best house edges of any bet in the casino. It takes longer to resolve because you go up on a point and you've got to resolve it. But where do they get you? They get, you get people that as soon as they go up on a point, then they place the other numbers, which uh, the six and eight place bets aren't too bad, but the others have high house edges. Or they start making come bets, so they're putting more money out there. So they really are betting on every roll. A come bet is like a new pass line bet uh, on this this next roll, and of course. All those bets lose when a seven is rolled. This this is this is why craps players do not like the seven, even though you win on the come out. Most people have this idea that seven is good if you're playing craps. It, it's it's the opposite. People who play craps hate sevens. That's mm -hmm. that's that's the number that wipes everyone out. Okay. So and it's a lot of fun. Craps people have all these stupid superstitions and shit uh you know so you see people they rub the dice yeah. they notice everyone calls their bets off and picks off their money if the dice go off the table and just just shit like that so it's it's hilarious um, but anyway so that's what i was doing while uh while i was counting cards and you know if I, if I was in las vegas and i just started to realize i was losing money because because we weren't going to tournaments anymore and the, it's stuff the there was no uh opportunities for me to do my old low roller advantage plays like i had been doing and so i think 1999 was the first year that my notebook showed a loss hmm. yeah it's like dang uh but that was because the whole th the whole thing had changed and we were centering everything around the card counting team and the ability to for them to get action because let's face it that was a lot more important uh, we are not aware of anyone else. As far as we know, X is the only person who has ever won a million dollars at blackjack who did not already have a million dollars when he started. 
Holy shit. The, what he did, if, if you if you read like the classics, like Million Dollar Blackjack and, and uh, from the 70s, all of these guys who started uh, gambling teams already were rich before they started the gambling. The guy that started the, the MIT team that the movie 21 was yeah, about, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he was already rich. That's where the bankroll came from because you've got to have a big bankroll in order to make big bets. We are not aware of anyone else who started betting red chips, literally, and worked it up to seven figures. Mm-hmm. That is unique. And uh, and at the height of it, you know, he had all these other people playing because the more, you know, having a team is a big advantage because you get into the long run faster and realize your, your advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was where the money was at the, at the time. And... Uh, Right around the time that I wrote the essay for Corrosion, a little before that, that was in July of 2001. Uh, right before then, Y decided to take a temporary retirement from the team. It was getting very hard for her to find games because she was a woman and she was so recognizable because there were so few women playing at that level. Uh, and the casinos were getting more paranoid. They were giving away less, you know, they were becoming noticeably tighter already. Uh, and uh, X actually was attacked you know, he, by a security goon at one of the casinos in Las Vegas. Uh, and uh, the guy was like 300 pounds and a foot taller than him. And they have the videotape. They made the mistake of not erasing the videotape. That was what won the lawsuit for, for him. But of, of course, he found a lawyer who was also a card counter who represented him for free because he wanted to make the precedent. And he got like 150000 bucks settlement out of it from the casino uh, because it was still not a cool thing to do. But you were starting to see people in the industry who didn't remember all the trouble that it caused back in the 80s. So, you know, in Didn't the 90s... caused trouble the, the the pit bosses or the card counters? Well, legal the, trouble for yeah, the casinos. Yeah. The violence, acting, yeah. Yeah, acting like, the, you know, acting like, you know, crime guys. Okay, okay, because, okay. Because okay. in the 90s, they were really keen on being respectable. And, clean, clean cut and, businesses. Yeah, clean cut. This is, this is a red-blooded american pastime we're we're supporting here they didn't want to be seen as organized crime louisville sluggers in the back room yeah yeah um in the in the movie the cooler the uh if you haven't seen it the best movie that has ever been made about gambling is is a little indie flick called the cooler okay uh, if you look it up, uh, I forget who the star is, but it's a couple of fairly well-known actors. But it was made uh, on a fairly low budget. Uh, they had a, a, a casino that was being renovated they were able to use as a set. But it's about a guy whose luck is so bad that the casino pays him to hang around and ruin yours. That's, <laughs> that's the cooler. And the realism about it isn't obvi- obviously that, it, that that is a very uh, magical fantasy type premise, but it's not that it's about reality. What it is is the story that you tell yourself when you are playing blackjack at three in the morning and the dealer is killing you, and this guy in a poorly fitting suit shuffles by, looking like he's got the weight of the world on him, and you're just like, "This is the problem." Okay, but everything else casino. in the movie is. Yeah. 
is super realistic. The way that the games are played, the attitude of the characters. The, the cooler's boss is an old school casino guy. And he's it's like he still does the organized crime stuff. He runs one of these little joints that's on uh not on, not the one of the new glitzy joints on this strip, but one of the old uh, joints in downtown, you know, and and it's all old school, and uh, and but he's about to be bought out, you know, his his place is being bought out, and he's he's about to be booted out himself by the suits who are doing all this, you know, math and promotions and stuff, and and he's just like there's a. Uh, you know, it, it's just it, it's really good. If you if you get a chance to to rent uh, to rent it or something, it's probably available. If you have any of the rental or streaming services, I guarantee it, it is uh, it is a wonderful movie. But but there's a scene in it where you know it's 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 like the hammer scene in Casino. But uh, this couple, a grifter couple, comes around and the the girlfriend is pregnant. You know, uh, and they kind of prevail on the cooler guy to to help him out and all and the the uh the boss sees right through them and ends up punching the woman in the stomach a pregnant woman well at which point it is revealed that she is wearing a pillow uh under her dress okay and and he's like holding the pillow up in front of the hero and going yeah i punched the baby see the baby okay and and it's just like it just turns around like that but it's you know he has this he's lovable what he wants to be but he has this utterly ruthless streak yeah. as well uh and and of course but he's being kicked out of his own system by the new guys and and all of this is stuff that really happened in the late 90s and the early 2000s so uh but uh, but anyway the thing is in the 90s they were like we don't do this anymore yeah. This was this was a big deal. All of the, the the big properties were trying to to show their their clean family oriented you know side, and it was uh, toward the end of the nineties though they were starting to get some new people who didn't remember what had happened or how much trouble it had caused for the establishment and how much it had screwed up their reputation and people thought that you know they had gone to a lot of trouble to lose that reputation and. Uh, but we were seeing it come back. We were seeing some of the, the poor behavior, um, some of the other social problems that it was caused. And so she just uh, decided that she had made enough money out of it and it was time to get out. Okay. Um, and the, the team itself, the, the rest of the team folded up a couple of years later because it just became impossible to find playable games. Uh, the industry finally learned something that I had been wondering about for years, which was why do they offer a beatable game at all uh yeah. when you know they go to all this trouble to detect card counters and remember who they are and figure out when they're playing so they can kick them out all you got to do is offer a game that don't, don't doesn't have beatable odds and no one you know the only losers will play it mm -hmm. this is why the, today if you walk into a casino and when you want to play $5 blackjack, it'll probably only pay six to five on a blackjack instead of three to two, like the old game did. That is a game that can't be beaten. It doesn't matter if you count cards. Mm -hmm. And that means they don't have to care if you play it. Now, they'll still offer the good game for the high rollers as an in incitement. But again, they can pay more attention to the high rollers because there's not as many of them. Yeah. Uh, so the casinos seem to have figured out that they don't have to offer this beatable game because the losers will still play a game that can't be beaten. 
they'll either just tell themselves that they, they, they won't realize it can't be beaten because they weren't they weren't going to beat it anyway, uh, or they just won't care because uh, that's what I've noticed about so many uh, gamblers that I've tried to tell about my story is that they just don't care. I like to play the slots. Yeah. That's that's what I do. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in fact, the, the way that I ended the essay series was with a little riff about, well, you know, sometimes I try to tell them, but there's all those little superstitious woo things. You know, you got to warm up the slot machine. It doesn't pay twice in a row, blah, blah, blah. You know, the dice go off the table. You got to call your bets off. And, uh, and the last the last one was, and I just like to play the slots. Yeah. So you, know, you, you tell them this is this is how much you're losing, and they're like, "Well, they don't remember that because memory is selective. Even when you really are losing that, and you've been losing it for years, people don't think of it that way because they don't remember all the losing. They remember the jackpot that they got three years ago." Yeah. And uh, I was gonna. Oh yeah, I, I skipped over the next to last story, which was where it jumped the shark for me personally. We were in Biloxi at uh, the new palace casino and uh they were offering a pretty good game but we figured that uh we might have you know 20 or 30 hours per player to play it before everybody got made so why was there playing i was sitting next to her and doing my act like it's my money you know i thought oh, shit she did it again you know it's like bring me a drink please yeah uh yeah like i'm the long-suffering husband yeah 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 and uh which was a really good act because it was like the steaming thing and all. So it's like everyone ate that up. So I got real good at playing the guy whose money is being lost by his wife. And so uh, there was a guy sitting next to her who was playing at about the same level. And uh, older guy, was he, was he had a cigar and his wife was sitting next to him. And there was a disastrous hand where they both lost multiple splits and doubles. So they got, you know, probably both of them lost a couple thousand dollars on that one hand and the wife his wife just looks at me and yeah you know, because i'm doing oh yeah right and the wife just looks at me and goes like yeah it's like you understand yeah, yeah. and i felt lower than whale shit because it, i was acting okay and she was married to a guy who was probably gambling away his entire legacy and didn't even realize it. And I'm sitting there playing, but what we're actually doing is we're making money, man. The spreadsheet says so. And, and it was like, I wrote in the essay in that moment, it became real. Okay. That was when I realized just what we were in that, you know, for all those years, we had done nothing but make money. We had had friends, you know, we had made friends. We had had all kinds of fun because tournaments were very festive and mm-hmm. all. Uh, and I told everybody who would listen how great it was and how, you know, it's like, man, we're making money having fun, you know. And no one, absolutely no one took any of our advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone went to the casino and did whatever they wanted to do anyway. And in that moment, I realized it was like, you stick your hand in some space and realize that there's something rotting in there. And uh, it's like, no, this is not a nice thing that we're involved in. This is destructive. This is killing people. Yeah. And in that moment, it was like, I was the glad handing sack of shit. Mm. 
pretending to be like like all the casino personnel who would come and shake your hand and give you a gift and give you a ticket you know will you be having the buffet tonight or eating at the steakhouse and and all that and so all those 150 dollar steaks and 50 dollar jiggers of scotch and all that we you know it's like all of a sudden it was like you see the holy yeah there's a price the books are balanced somewhere Holy fucking shit. My friend really is a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, I... And... Raise my hand. Mm. Call on me. Yeah, Go. I remember. Tommy. Yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Professor. Um, yeah, I'd gone to a casino a couple times with friends in Cincinnati Um yeah, and we had just gotten drunk, and we would go for the... We would just do the minimum bet so we could drink for free. That's all we were trying to do, right? We would just... We, we had just turned 21. But I remember going in Atlantic City with my little brother in 2014 with his friends. You know, we all put on, like, suits and just got fucking hammered. And I remember I was like, I'm going to try to win some money tonight. And I remember, like, I lost, like, my... Because when I... In Cincinnati, we would always... We'd limit ourselves. We'd leave our debit cards up in the rooms. We'd only bring $100. And the, the goal was to make that last as long as possible. Not for any, no one had any hope of making a dollar. It was let's just, we were six months out of college. We're like, we just want to get shit faced in suits, right? And I remember I was with, I was with my little brother and I was like, so we like ran back upstairs, got our, cause we both had lost our hundred dollars. And I went down and got a, a crisp Franklin right from the ATM. And I remember I went out and I lost it on one hand. And that was the moment where I just, like there's no reaching across the table and taking it back you're gonna get your ass kicked and thrown out and i realized very quickly that i was at an adult playground and that i didn't like the game and that was that was 2014 that was february 2014 i haven't been back to a casino since i felt the i felt the gut punch very quickly i was like oh all the glitzy lights the drinks the rooms this is what it the the books are balanced somewhere and here's where it is it's me getting a ben franklin out and then just they take it away and now i can't have it back and it's like ah i got nothing out of it it's not like i spent it and i got a video game and then i got bored of the video game but i still at least had that experience i put a hundred dollars down and like 30 seconds it was gone and i was like oh okay this is what it feels like so let's cut this off now at 24 <laughs> as opposed to 60. I was like, let's kill this now. It's been six yeah. years. I haven't been back. so. Yeah. And I haven't been. I think the last time I went in a casino was when we went to Montreal a few years ago. And, uh, you know, it's like I never go uh, on my own anymore. But after the card counting team wound down, X tried his hand at poker. And they made that work for a bit because the casino doesn't care if you're if you're winning a poker game because you're winning it from the other players. But what happened then is toward the end of the of the aughts around 2010. Well, you had the 2008 uh, uh, recession. recession, and a lot of the poker uh, people there was there was really only ever one limit hold'em game in the country that had high enough stakes that it was worth traveling to play it if you were an advantage player and it dried up it would move around you know sometimes it was in biloxi sometimes it was in tunica sometimes it was in las vegas and so they would kind of follow that game around but then it dried up and it turned out david couldn't beat no limit because he kept getting stacked it's it's different game dynamic and he 
it just didn't work for him. Uh, but uh, the, the thing is that during that period when uh, they were playing poker, uh, Y was still making a lot of trips, and I just wasn't going with it for the most part. Uh, but we made a visit to Montreal just as a vacation. We rented a car, drove around, you know, and, you know, did the tourist thing. But while we were there, she wanted to check out that casino that they have. That, mm. You know, it was built for the World's Fair, and then they converted it into a casino. She wanted to check out their poker room so she could go back and tell X what the what the rules were and everything. And so I went over to the craps table, and just like old habits, you know, so, you know, dove in. It was ten dollar table. Uh, I was taking double odds, so I was making about like a thirty dollar bet. So this was this was a rich game by my old standards, but I knew I was only going to be playing it for a couple hours. Um, and I actually walked away from that table with a couple of hundred dollars uh, in profit. But it wasn't like I went there to play craps. It was more like I was there for some completely unrelated reason. So what the fuck? I'll play craps for a bit. Sure. Um, you know, and you know, and again, it's it's like I was saying about the trip, the annual trip to Vegas. You know, you can sustain that even if I you know, I bought in for five hundred dollars because it was vacation. I had splurred. You know, we we had more money than we did in the nineties, and I was like, yeah, that's like I can afford to take a zip, you know, take a splurge on this, um, but. Before that, it had probably been five years since I had been in a casino mm-hmm. because I, I I never go into a casino deliberately anymore. It's just like unless there's some other reason and it's the only thing to do, you know, like I, I know one of the times after this all wound down, I, I spent a couple hours at the Isle of Capri boat in Lake Charles because I was at the I was at the refinery across the street doing work. Yeah. And I was staying at their hotel. Yeah. And when you are in the hotel, the casino hotel, which is there because it's a body of water, remember, it's Louisiana, and it's across the street from a bunch of refineries and chemical plants, there's nothing else anywhere near. Yeah. So, of course, I went over to the boat to eat dinner, and ah, well, I might as well wander around and play a little craps or something. Yeah. But again, it's like I only bought in for like 100 bucks, and then when that was gone, just like, fuck this. Yeah. Um, now... Uh, I did have a, I do have a funny story about the other side of that though. Uh, before the card counting thing took off, when we were we were still doing the tournaments and stuff like that, uh, we had a free night at the at the hotel at Casino Magic in Biloxi, and we just had the, the free night. It was it was a little before Christmas, and it was also that we could get bombed and not have to worry about driving home mm-hmm. because the drive home from the Gulf Coast is over an hour. So this way we had a room, we could get as drunk as we wanted, walk over to the hotel and crash. Yeah. So I had been trading the same $100 bill back and forth all night long. And, you know, it's so like we, we, we were there from maybe 6 p.m. We had, di- you know, we had dinner, uh, then sort of went our separate ways playing whatever game struck our fancy. And about 10 p.m. I was starting to get a little tired. So I went to find Elaine. And... Uh, a Y. Okay, that, that's her real name. So, and uh, it turned out she was playing craps. So, I walked up on her left, and just as I walked up, it turns out she had the dice, and she rolled a seven, thus ending her roll of the dice. And the stick man tapped me and said, "Do you want the dice, sir?" And so, I had this hundred dollar bill, and this was a ten dollar, ten time odds table. And what that means is your $10 bet has that one and a quarter percent house edge that I talked about. Mm-hmm. But an odds bet 
is when you once you've gone up on a point, you can put odds behind your line bet. And when if you make your point, the odds are paid off at their true odds with no house edge. Okay. So they increase the size of your bet, but they don't increase the house edge. And the true odds are higher uh, than even money. So like if you uh, go up on a four or a 10 and make your point, because it's twice as easy to make a seven as it is to make a four or a 10, you get paid two to one. So on a, a typical typical table will let you take double or triple odds in, the, in those days. Uh, so you would put your $5 down, you would go, roll a four, you put your $10 behind it, you roll another four, you get paid $5 in front and $20 in back, double on your odds bet. You get three to two on the nine and uh, on the uh, five and nine, and you get six to five on the six and eight. So that's a way to have more act. Now that I would usually take like single or double odds, but I noticed that this, it was a $10 table because it was pretty close to Christmas and they had a good crowd, but uh, it was 10 time odds table, which was a novelty. Not everyone uh, allowed the high odds like that. Mm-hmm. So you make a hundred dollar bet on which your edge is the edge on a $10 line bet. Mm-hmm. So I figured, you know what? I've never done this before. I'm going to lose this hundred dollars once and for all and take full odds at this $10, to- $10 craps table. So I rolled, Just so I put, put my 10 bucks down. Yeah, I was I was in fuck it mode. I had been, I, I, I had been trading the same copy, you know, same yeah, picture yeah, of Brent yeah, Franklin yeah. around all night long. I was about I was ready to lose it. Yeah. So so I put my ten bucks down, rolled a four, put a hundred dollars behind it, and rolled another four. Just like that, no waiting. So I got paid two hundred dollars in back and ten bucks in front. <laughs> so, okay, that worked pretty good. He goes in the rack, did it again, rolled a nine, rolled another couple of numbers, and rolled another nine. So I got paid 150 and back on that bet. Uh, after that, I rolled uh, two tens, which was another 200. So it's like when I lost, when I finally lost the dice, I had like 700 dollars in in the rails in front of me, and the other players had taken note. Because I made three points, that's considered a good thing at a okay. craps table. That's okay. nice rhythm, you know. Okay. And so the dice went to the next guy, and I said, "I'm going to sit here until I lose this hundred fucking dollars." Okay. Uh, well, actually, what I did is I took my uh, I took a hundred dollars and put it behind the rail. Okay. I, I, I put it in the back row and said, "Well, I'm going to keep this." Yeah, keep your hundred. That was my that was my buy-in. Yeah. Okay, so I, so I, I won't you. lose the hundred dollars now, but I'm going to I'm, I'm going to I'm going to ride this shit. Burn the rest of it. Yeah. So. The next player made two or three points, and, and it went around where every single player for the next four hours made at least two points, and some of them made four or five. There were two guys at the uh, at the ends of the table who were who were doing all the place bets. They were they, they would do like twenty eight across, and there's this pattern that the, the dealer puts in where you where you're placing all the numbers. You have to place the uh, the four, five, nine, and ten for five dollars, and the six and eight for six dollars, and so you add that up or multiples of that, you know. So they they were pressing their bets. They you know they were winning and they were pressing their bets because a lot of a lot of craps players uh, have that that pattern where they don't want to just take a small win. You know they'll 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 win and they'll just tell the dealer press, and they don't even take the money. The dealer just puts the win on top of the original bet. Mm-hmm. 
and they wiped the table out of green chips. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. So when, when this finally, when this streak finally came to an end, I had $2,500 in the, in the back rail. Uh, which is the most money I have ever made in a, at a negative expectation game in my life. Okay. And they had wiped the tail. They were having to pay them in red chips and big stacks because they had wiped the table out of green chips. Jesus. They were actually going up to the uh, office to get more chips for the, for the table. And then after like four hours, like two in the morning, it was like someone flipped a, a light switch and three players in a row, 0.7, 0.7, 0. 0.7. And so all these guys, and, and so Everybody at the same time put all their money on the felt and asked for color so that they could go cash out. Yeah. And that was like, okay, that was cool. That I was... had to admit that was cool. Yeah. But, but the coda to that story is I lost every dime of that money, a hundred dollars at a time playing low level craps over the course of the next six months. Yeah. I did not have a winning session until that money was gone. <laughs> Good. Yeah, you got to just burn it through. It's it's, it's some like it's some sacrifice. Like, no, you're not supposed to have this. You're yeah. not playing a positive expectation game. Yeah. So you're not supposed to have this. Yeah, it's some sacrificial cleansing fire. You're like I'm just ending the gambling and it's just we're burning it through. We're doing it today. Yeah. We're getting it over with. So, yeah, and and, and the thing is it, but it all started with that 15 trip losing streak when I first started five bucks at a time, because even when I had like that big win at the craps table, uh, I knew better than to think that it couldn't go the other way. Uh, cause, cause, cause it had already gone the other way too. So it t surprised me not at all when I found out I couldn't win a bet again. You know, yeah. It, it yeah. was just like, yeah, I've seen this movie before too, whatever. Yeah. 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 But that was when we were still going pretty frequently. It was before the card counting took off and all that, uh, you know, yeah. that whole change that was still in part two of the story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with part four, it was like in 1999, I finally realized just how insidious and evil the whole thing is because if you work for the casino and you're the person who's glad handing these losers and giving them little gifts and shit uh and you but you know that they're probably going to stop coming around one day because they're going to lose all the money because and you don't care where it came from you don't care where the money came from until you realize that it's coming from them because you're counting cards. Then they care where the money came from. Yeah. But uh, other than that, they don't care where the money came from. They just want the money. Uh, that is why they, they waited. They were the last industry that implemented the uh, anti-laundry laundering, uh, money laundering stuff. <laughs> uh, those forms that you have to fill out. You know, uh, someone who's a whale who's betting big at a uh, you know, betting like $10,000 a hand, they have to fill out a cash transaction report for every bet they make. Jesus. Is yeah. So it, it was, you know, so the casinos really, really, really didn't want to do that. But, uh, the government finally leaned on them hard enough that they had to start doing it. And that was another thing that caused a problem for the team because you, it, it, it is not illegal to use a fake ID in most places. Um, it is illegal in some places to make one. Okay. Um, 
but uh, it's it's uh, it is legal to possess up to a certain number of them, and it's less trouble, you know. But it, it isn't a big legal problem to conceal your identity, but it is illegal to put a fal- put false information on a cash transaction report. Okay. You have to put your social security number on that fucking thing, okay. and it is illegal to lie. So. Uh, that was another reason that why stopped playing was because she didn't want to commit felonies to continue to have play opportunities. Because once you put your real information on the CTR, it becomes very easy for them to figure out that you were the guy they banned on swing shift two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so that was another thing that caused a problem. There was the civil forfeiture thing. One of the team members had $24,000 stolen from him by the cops. They just pulled him over, said, Oh, cash. We're, 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 we're taking this. Uh, and most people, you know, every once in a while, there's a sensational expose about it because it's so evil, but yeah, the, uh, the cops just take the money and they don't accuse you of a crime. They, they accuse the money of being the proceeds of, uh, a a drug, you know, the drug trade or something. And the court case is the state of California versus $24,000 cash. And because the cash is not a person, it doesn't have civil rights. This has actually been upheld by the Supreme Court. We live in clown world. Corporations are people and cash is free speech, but cash is not yeah. a person. Yeah. yeah, cash itself is not a person, and it, when it is stolen from you, it doesn't have rights. So that, 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 that legal fiction has ob- actually been upheld by the United States Supreme Court back in the 90s. And uh, there are places that there was a here in Louisiana, there was an incident uh, around that time where there was a really notorious ring of uh, cops that were stealing people's cars who were coming in from Texas. And they would target someone who had a nice car and pull them over and basically steal the car through uh, through civil forfeiture. And one of the uh, big name network tv uh no news uh, newscasters drove back and forth in southern louisiana until he was pulled over and the cops started the thing about yeah that and uh he was just like officer before we go any further do you see that car that just pulled in behind us uh you might want to be aware that they're filming all this for our newscast and, and and at first the cops tried to bullet through like he didn't really believe it or something or didn't realize how, you know how bad this was going to look but uh you know they they basically put this on the national news it's like here's this little police department down here who's who's pulling it's over anyone racket. who has a cadillac and uh, just because they they feel like it's still and what it is is the the cops who do it don't get any direct benefit but their incentive is that the department does yeah so they get to use it to buy you know to to buy toys or to you know you know nicer guns or whatever uh, atv or you know whatever little toys that they might want or uh you know they might steal your ranch that they can have a nice little training ground i mean it's 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 been all over so anyway the upshot was for the card counting team is that driving around the country and flying around the country with these large amounts of cash was not good but you also couldn't use the casino credit system because you were trying to conceal your identity so again it was a pinch a pincer that just made it impossible to engage in the game anymore yeah um, that's 
That's, and, and, uh, that's when the Tree of Liberty gets watered. Yeah, well, I mean, I've had people... In fact, when uh, when I published this story on Corrosion, Corrosion had a lot of tech libertarian type people on it. Sure. I mean, that was their user base. But refugees from Slashdot, which is a lot of programmers and engineers and, and stuff. Yeah. And there was the one guy, when I told the story in the comments about the civil forfeiture thing, that couldn't, that can't happen. That's unconstitutional. You should, it's like, no, they fix it so that it is so expensive to mount a defense or there's a short deadline that they don't have to tell you about that you can't file the paperwork quickly enough. They fix it so that it, and it's all been upheld by the court. And and this guy was just like mortally offended. It was, I was like, dude, this is the country it, you live in. Learn real, about it. Yeah, it's yeah. reality. It's, it's, it's what's the, uh, is it, I think it was in a Rage Against the Machine music video, but it's uh, don't turn off, don't turn on politics, or politics will turn on you. Don't stick your head in the sand, or it'll bury you. Right? It's yeah. It's as unsexy and as migraine-inducing as it can be. You gotta keep you gotta keep a finger on the pulse because if you are, if you are, as long as you're not in a coma and you're not like an infant, it's directly affecting your life. Right? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's oh, yeah. definitely. Um. Yeah, I voted in every election that I've been eligible for since I was 18. So um, and uh, usually that doesn't mean much, though, because Louisiana, well, we all know who's going to get our electoral votes. Yeah, but still, you got <laughs> you got to go vote. It's I, I'm a big you got to go vote. You got to get it heard. You got to regardless of electoral. I think it's important to go dump it in. You got to you got to get the tally yeah. counted. I know that and sounds hey, idyllic, but I mean, I think you do. And hey, sometimes it works. You know, we sometimes have a democratic governor. Yeah. And how did that happen? It happened because the Republicans were so stupid that it's twice confident. in a row they either put well the first time when uh, John Bell Edwards was elected the first time they put the nominee against him was David Vitter, who is also known as Diaper Dave. He was in the the uh, the, the Madam's Little Black Book uh, for the DC Madam. And he is widely hated for other reasons, too. He's one of the guys who uh, got term limits instituted, which pissed a lot of people off. And so he, he was like he is probably like the most hated Republican person in the state of Louisiana. And he was running against John Bell Edwards. And so John Bell Edwards won mainly because most of the Republicans stayed home rather than vote. Yeah. Um, for, yeah, they, they weren't going to vote for David Vitter. So on the second go around when he was running for re-election, and of course it helped now that he had a legacy, and uh, it turns out he's been a pretty good governor. But uh, of course they tried everything that they could, but they ended up splitting the vote because in the, in the, uh, in the jungle primary, they had two Republicans running. And it's a jungle primary. So if they had, uh, if either of the Republicans had dropped out of the jungle primary, then they probably would have beat uh, they would have the, the two Republicans would have ended up in the general election because mm -hmm. they would have had the top two the top votes mm -hmm. but but it ended up where they split the vote and got into a general with uh, Bell Edwards and he was able to eke out a win it was you know the, somehow the math worked out with that I don't think I told the story right but but the upshot was the it, it was the Republican stupidity that made it possible yeah. Uh, it's, it's and, you got to go out and vote because eventually something slips up and that's how you get a flip. And it's, I think it's, I mean, I think it's important. I mean, right now it's, I've mentioned it in every episode today, all two episodes, but in 2016, don't forget 
73% of the voting eligible population didn't vote. Mm-hmm. 73% of the voting eligible population above 18 and not a felon didn't vote. Hillary won by 3 million of the popular vote. Trump won the Electoral College. The Electoral College could have been swayed by less than 100,000 votes. But 73% didn't vote. To me, that's... I, I, I don't know. Like, it is... The way I look at it is like we're arguing over. I got a couple pennies. Rogers got a couple dimes, and we're going. We're fighting at each other, but neither of us are going to grab the fucking the band, the rubber band around the the stack of Ben Ben Franklin's. <laughs> Give me your pennies. Give me your dimes. And it's like, yo, there's like forty k right there, and it's just, oh, yeah. yeah, it's it's and, yeah, yeah. It's so it's uh. I don't know where we got on that, but but, but yeah, they uh, oh, it was civil forfeiture. Yeah, yeah, it was like yeah, they uh, there's just all this crap going on, and, and most people don't know about it. But that that was one of the forces, uh, the civil forfeiture, the CTRs, sure. the general uh, lack of generosity. Now, uh, if if you go to the casino for the first time now, you can't do any of the shit that we did. Yeah, the tournaments when a tournament is held now, it's almost always invitation only for people who already have comp points and are in the system. Uh, they don't give the promotions away. The food is more expensive. The buffets, you know, now are like you know twenty twenty five dollars. Yeah. Uh, and, and it used to be that first trip we went to Las Vegas, uh, the hotel we were staying at had a two dollar ham breakfast. Okay, so we got the ham breakfast, and the ham weighed two pounds. It was that big. Jesus fuck. I mean, for two dollars. Jesus fuck. And, yeah, and, and scrambled eggs and the rest of it and all, and, a, and we were just like, but that was that was what it was because it was the they wanted to put out an aura of of a cornucopia of generosity. Yeah. And uh, you know, yeah. so you would go there for that and yeah. then donate your money at yeah, the tables they... or the slots before leaving. Mm. Um, but they don't give the shit away anymore because they've figured out that they don't have to. Yeah. Roger, next next week, are we doing the uh, we're doing the astrology episode? Yeah, that would be the natural segue, but it's not really just going to be astrology. What I want to talk about is uh, different systems of occult practice. One of which would be astrology. Uh, we got on. I'm, I'm open for all of it. I'm excited yeah, for all of it. We got into that topic because it's part of the secret lore of the Catholic Church. But I'll talk about the rest of that and some of the other things. And uh, it was before we got into the casino thing that we spent a number of years. Our big sideline was uh, we had bought a bunch of uh, semi-precious gemstone rough from a company in New York City that went out of business, and they cleaned out their basement without really going to a great deal of trouble to identify what they had. They were just like, we know it's valuable, whatever, a dollar a pound. So we ordered a 40 pound box, you know, a 50 pound test box for 50 bucks. And it had a seven pound piece of Labradorite in it, which we knew was selling at that time for $40 a pound. So we bought a drum, a 500 pound drum, and it had enough shit in it that we ended up buying some more. We ended up buying about 10,000 pounds of this uh, out of this basement in New York City. The guy had died, and the heirs to the company were like, we have a basement full of rocks. What are we going to do with it? Yeah. So for years, what we did is we did gem and mineral shows, and we did trades with other dealers and stuff. But one of our markets was the New Age community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had we had lines with some of the shops. We would, uh, we would give them uh, rock specimens that had the various metaphysical properties. Sure. We had to learn what drove that. Sure. 
And so we had to learn the rest of that lore so that we could, you know, be conversant with it. And it, uh, it was very interesting, but that topic of why people believe in it and how it works, if it works, uh, ties in closely to the gambling thing and the perception of randomness. Okay. Uh, you know, why that ceiling of that cave doesn't look the same as the starry night sky yeah. because we don't perceive things that are random correctly. Yeah. So when something strange happens, okay. is it really something strange or is it just something normally strange because strange things are normal yeah. and uh i have some interesting uh takes on that uh, so yeah that would be the, the next place to go is uh what do these systems advise how are they used and uh basically what is uh, what is what is it like to to be in in that that company uh to who, who is uh, the believers and the non-believers and what's likely to happen if you give it a try um i'm excited because that was because that was a period of our life that had some important life lessons in it so you're you're, you're getting my life in chunks here you know we've hey we've the, done <laughs> the roger williams story i like it the expose of the century i like it man it's it's yeah. like a it's like an r-rated forrest gump <laughs> it's, it's the crossroads of pornography uh, and gambling and new age and i love uh, it and yeah oh god i hate that movie though that's you, you know you notice how, how uh the smart person jenny gets completely dumped on by the universe and the stupid person forrest can't can do no wrong yeah and yeah it's like it's, it's that, that's one of those things people overtrain on though it's like this was so inspirational oh, I, no, it's like wasn't. no it, it was just a wasn't moron it was about just... how great it is to be stupid yeah exactly <laughs> because maybe the reality is is it's not none of that happened forrest is just so stupid it seems like the world is playing into him it's just it's like the beauty of being like stupid and ignorant it's just all played. well it's it it actually ties into the it's the journey of the fool yeah. which is the first which is the first tarot card numbered zero so save it save it next week <laughs> save it that's next week i'm excited for that let's save that for it's funny because before this right before this episode i had on my buddy from work and we talked about a uh, magic the gathering cards he trades cards he sells them he actually makes a pretty yeah I, I i heard that yeah I, I, I was I uh, I listened to that last night. Yeah. No. 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 I haven't uploaded oh, it yet. Or is it? Oh, you must have talked about. I it. talked about it. it. I talked about it. I haven't uploaded it yet. But his okay. name's his name's Forrest. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, this was Vinny. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. No. You, you must have been talking about Forrest. Well, there. me, Vinny, and Forrest. Know, yeah. We. Forced, I know Magic the Gathering came up. Yeah. Me, Vinny's Forrest, time. and Vinny worked together. So yeah, okay. it would have come up. Yeah. yeah. We all worked together. Oh. And I was going to tell you, uh, brandy is what you get when you distill wine. Okay. You would ask, you would yeah, ask yeah, Vinny yeah, that, yeah. and he didn't answer you. Yeah. God damn it, Vinny. Shout out Roger. Roger's my fact checker. Roger, that's why I'm just going to have you show up at the end of every episode, just fact checking. We went through this, we went through that, and uh, there we go. But um, I, I know so many useless things, it's ridiculous. Fuck that. No such thing as useless, man. Dump it all on this episode. Dump it all on this podcast, and it'll be interesting. Right now, waiting to hear back whether I get a JPL, Jet Propulsion Laboratory, media approval might be having on the guy that chief engineer for the Mars Curiosity rover. That would be a score. It will be. It's but it's still up in the air cuz I had the head I had the former head of Skunkworks agree to do it 
and then he had to backpedal. This was back in like May, and it oh, tore my heart yeah. out. I thought I was having on the Skunkworks guy. I was like, yes, yes. And then I sent him all these questions about special access programs and black budget and space warfare. And he got back to me and said he was going to have to turn down the podcast. And I was like, God damn it. So uh, I've learned my lesson to just stay in the gray area. Don't don't say anything. Don't say any defined names of programs. Just play the fool. So uh, waiting to hear back from him. But that would be really cool if I can get him on and uh, ask him about the aliens. But uh <laughs> Yeah, he'll, he'll be totally. Open. He'll be totally. Oh yeah, let me just give. I'll give the president a call and we'll get him on the phone. Um, <laughs> same time next week, five p.m. See it, five p.m. Central okay. or five p.m. Eastern. Uh, five five Central is easier. If I had realized that there was a C instead of a, an E there, it I thought I was helping but you. I was. I, I actually had two different groups of people calling me every hour, trying to troubleshoot things. I mean, I constantly complain. I don't like doing that because you can't see through the damn phone. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to describe what's going wrong to me. And uh, I was trying to work on something that just came up this morning in the shop that needed to be completed. And the, there was just all this stuff going on. And I got your email and looked at it real quick. And it's like, okay, that was like, no, that, oh, oh, yeah, like last week. Yeah. Was like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I thought I was being helpful. I was like, I'm putting it in. Because I have several friends that do add the guy this morning, Delta Force, my friend Paul Whitcomb, my, my friend Jock. They're all on Central. And so I was finally just like, because everyone's always like, is it Central or are we doing Eastern? So finally I was like, fuck it. Whatever time zone they're in now, I'm just going to give them their time zone. I will, I will remember that in the future, though. Well, so, so today, the first time, I was like, emailing Roger, setting a new precedent. I'm using the correct time zone. And then you were like, I'm, all, I'm running late, and I'm sitting there. My my shit's offloading onto my hard drives, and I'm taking a shit, and I'm looking at an email. I'm like, late? We don't have 40 minutes. And then I was like, fuck. So, yeah. But, uh, hey, live and learn. Roger Williams, author of The Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, among other things. Gambler. All right. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, sir. Thank you so much for doing it. I fucking enjoy it. I love your I love your stories, and uh, I'm excited for next week. I am legitimately excited for next week. I am <laughs> pumped. We're going balls deep into the occult. I am excited. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Thank you, Roger. Stay safe. Stay sane. And uh, I'll see you next week, my friend. Take care, Roger.